Hello, everyone. Unfortunately, we must once again begin the show by acknowledging and giving an in-memoriam to people in the anime manga industry who have passed away recently. And this week is particularly hard because the two people who have passed away were really integral figures in the anime and manga industries. Toei Animation President and CEO... Osama Tezuka passed away at the age of 62 earlier this month. He was with Toei since the 80s. He only became CEO and president in 2020, but he has been a board member since 2012 and a managing director since 2016. He was in charge of Toei, and he was a big figure in Toei for decades. And it is sad to lose someone who has been part of the industry in like an executive role in that way for such pivotal years for that company. But what had hit me even harder and what was even more astonishing and saddening was hearing the news that we have lost Leiji Matsumoto, one of the most legendary, influential, integral figures in the development of manga and creators of manga. The creator of Battleship Yamato, Galaxy Express 3-9, Captain Harlock, Queen Emeraldus. So many iconic characters and series. He passed away on February 13th at 11 a.m. from acute heart failure at the age of 85. And that's a good long life, especially for a creator who has been active since the 50s and was still creating manga up to this day. It can't be understated just how influential Matsumoto's works are. We really pioneered this like space opera epic genre of anime and manga. His character designs, his aesthetic sensibilities are so readily recognizable and iconic. The characters of Harlock, of Mytel, of Emeraldus, all of those characters are just some of the most recognizable in anime and manga and you know just so influential in their own right and yeah i mean he has been active for so many decades and he influenced just so many creators you can see that influence in so many works that came out during that were directly inspired by yamato and harlock and just like his vision of like a space fantasy, all of these fantastical worlds and character designs and be able to just merge kind of this gorgeous, beautiful sense of worlds with his like simplified, cartoonish, but still very emotionally evocative art. Of course, Matsuoto has been well awarded and acknowledged and honored for his contributions to Japanese culture over the years. He has the Medal with Purple Ribbon honor, the Order of the Sacred Treasure Gold Weights with Rosette's honor, the Chevalier de Olore Arts decoration from the French government. Matsumoto really was you know, one of the most pioneering and influential creators out there. And to lose him, it was really shocking and really saddening. I definitely have enjoyed so much of his work and have seen his influence in so many other works I've enjoyed. It is just strange to think about that he's no longer with us. I'm sure I speak for so many fans worldwide who have been entertained and touched by his works. 
that we are truly thankful for the worlds that he has created, the characters he's created that will continue to live on and inspire and entertain for generations to come as they have for generations before. His legacy is truly set in stone as one of the all-time great mangaka. And yeah, it's just really shocking and sad to lose another legend like Matsumoto, but we want to pay our respects to him and thank him for the work he's created. And we want to pay our respects to Toei Presencio Automateska for his role in the anime industry. And to both of these creators, these important figures and tastemakers in anime and manga, we want to extend our condolences to their families, to their friends, to their fans, and dedicate a moment of silence to honor their memory and celebrate their memory and their legacy. This is the Manga Mavericks Podcast, Episode 225. We are a podcast not only dedicated to talking about manga as a medium, but as an industry. I'm Colton. And I'm Lamroyasha, and today we are going to catch up on all the latest news that has come out from the manga and anime world in February, and there's a lot to talk about, from new serialization updates to a ton of new licenses, to some big industry news that we're definitely going to have to dig into. There's a lot to go off of. There's a lot that happened, and a lot to discuss, and a lot we have to report on today. We should definitely get on to the news. We definitely have a lot to talk about. And I think we should get on to some of our list news. The first thing, obviously, we're going to be talking about is the latest New York Times graphic books and manga best-selling list for the month of February. Uh, not a whole lot to go over here, but there are still a couple manga titles on this list out of the 15 spots, starting at the bottom of the list at number 15 with volume 18 of Jujutsu Kaisen. And then next up at number 13 on the list, we have Volume 3 of Chainsaw Man with Volume 1 of Spy Family at number 12 on the list, Volume 2 of Chainsaw Man ranking at number 10, Volume 5 of Kaiju number 8 ranking at number 9, and Volume 1 of Chainsaw Man ranking at number 5. So obviously, Chainsaw Man takes up most of the manga spots on this list, as you will see when we get to the book scan list. But, you know, uh, I'd still say there's a decent variety of heavy hitters there at the very least. Yeah, I would say that it's not a terribly surprising list in terms of the makeup, just kind of the bigger titles, but at least there's four different big manga titles, you know, it's not just one or two series. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, we should really just get onto the book scan list because we've been saying it for months and months, and it has finally happened. Every single volume 
of Chainsaw Man. Every volume that's been released in the series so far, all 11 volumes have made it on this January's book scan list. It's finally happened. It was inevitable. The fans were raving for it, and it's happened. And I wonder, I bet, if we're come to a day where all 20 volumes are Chainsaw Man. It's just Chainsaw Man, every spot, all the time. <laughs> just everyone chanting Chainsaw, Chainsaw, Chainsaw. Everyone just reading Chainsaw Man while chanting Chainsaw, 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 just entranced. You know, oh, you know, I don't know if that'll happen, but there is a non-zero chance that that maybe could happen once. Yeah, I mean, it's already over half the list with all 11 volumes to date making it. So, you know, I would not rule out Denji's power to cut down the competition. Exactly. But in case anybody is wondering, you know, which volumes ranked at which place, I'll go over this real quick. Volume 1, ranked at number 1, obviously. Volume 2, ranked at number 3. Volume 3, ranked at number 6. Volume 5, ranking at number 7. With Volume 7, ranking at number 8. Volume 4, ranking at number 9. Volume 9, ranking at number 12. Volume 6, ranking at number 13. Volume 10, ranking at number 14. Volume 11, ranking at number 17. And Volume 8, ranking at number 18. And even though there are only 11 volumes of Chainsaw Man, Tatsuki Fujimoto takes up 60% of the list with 12 spots on this list because his before Chainsaw Man collection, 17 to 21, also makes the list in number 19. So Tatsuki Fujimoto really having a wild month. I wonder if there'll be a time where we'll see every spot, not just Chainsaw Man, but just all Tatsuki Fujimoto titles. That'd be great. God, because I think he has another anthology coming out. Didn't they license two of them? I don't remember. Yeah, I think there's 22 to 26. Basically, these are like stories manga he created during these ages listed on the covers. So this one is stuff he made from ages 1721. And I believe there's one for the stuff he's created from when he's 22 to 26. Okay, so yeah, again, I, I think it's less likely. But yeah, I don't know. It could happen. There could just be a day where we could just see, like, every single Tatsuki Fujimoto thing to ever come out in the West just on this list. Mm -hmm. Maybe. Like, not even just his anthology collections, like Look Back and Goodbye Airy, which, man, I'm going to be really surprised at Goodbye Airy when that eventually does come out over here physically. Like, if that isn't, like, in the top five, honestly. Yeah, for sure. But, yeah, Tatsuki Fujimoto, Chainsaw Man, you just you cannot get away from it. Nope, you really cannot. I, I don't I don't really have anything else to add other than Chainsaw Man. It's just obviously it's it's been popular for a while, but like to see it finally just like take over basically more than half of this list, even though we, we kept predicting it would happen, like actually seeing it happen is kind of wild. Yeah, no kidding. I mean, I knew it was gonna happen. I had a good feeling it was, but to actually see it happen, to actually get to this moment. Yeah, it is surreal. It is like the first time I think an entire manga series can claim that they have every volume of theirs in the top 20. To say nothing of the first time a manga series can say to an extent that their complete series is in the top 20. Of course, Dean Zama has part two and the number of volumes don't change, but like that's still pretty wild. Honestly, with as many single volumes as they're selling, I'm surprised they have anything left for those box sets that are going to be coming out soon. <laughs> I mean, they just keep printing more because people keep buying more. God, but that's enough Chainsaw Man talk for now. Let's talk about everything else that's on the list. 
At number two on the list, we have volume five of Kaiju number eight. Kaiju number eight, not nearly as popular as Chainsaw Man right now. I do have a feeling that when that anime comes out eventually, though, that I think we could even see the same thing for Kaiju number eight, possibly. Again, non-zero chance. But still, having a lone volume of Kaiju number eight rank number two on the list, like, again, amongst everything else selling, especially every volume of Chainsaw Man, like, for it to rank that high, that's pretty impressive. Yeah, it really is. It speaks to just the popularity of the series. And again, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Kaiju number eight is like another one where, you know, when that anime comes up, every volume does like shoot up into the top 20. I don't know if we'll see it to the extent of a Chainsaw Man, but I could see it happening because it's this popular already. Oh, yeah, for sure. And the jump plus hits just kind of keep rolling because next up we have to talk about Spy Family volume one, ranking at number four on the list with Volume 2 ranking at number 15, and Volume 3 ranking at number 20. Uh, Spy Family, again, Shonen Jump Plus is eating really good. I'm really happy to see, like, e even if it's still in the Jump family, I'm glad to see stuff that isn't necessarily Shonen Jump, but just, like, Jump Plus in general. Like, I'm, I'm glad to see those titles doing well. Yeah, I think that the popularity of Jump Plus titles, as much or more so than weekly Jump titles, just shows that, you know, the source, like, online comics are just, like, growing in popularity, and so Jump Plus is now as much a destination of big hits, of hit-making series, as much or more so than the weekly magazine. So I think that's an interesting trend and cool sign of how the things are changing in the industry and like how people are kind of discovering and enjoying new titles. I mean, here in the US, like everything is like Jump Plus or Shonen Jump. It's all on one platform. It's not necessarily the same as like in Japan, the distinguishing differences of like where you would go to find the titles. But even so... There is a slight difference in kind of tone and variety in what Jump Plus offers compared to Weekly Jump. So it's cool to see titles from there get really recognized and really popular and become like kind of the big talking points, like the big tentpoles of anime fandom and discussion and all that. So yeah, I do think it's cool, even though it's still Shonen Jump and it's still like mostly battle related titles, but at least by family it's like more slice of life but a little bit of like a battle element every now and again yeah i mean we talked about this before but jump plus arguably i think is usually more interesting than weekly shonen jump because i think jump plus is able to like experiment more and like at least from the titles i've read through like manga plus or whatever like jump plus titles in my opinion don't have like the same problem that like weekly shonen jump titles do where it's like sometimes weekly shonen jump titles can feel kind of samey and can like really stick to trends Whereas I feel like I don't, I mean, not that Jump Plus doesn't have that, but like, I don't know, I, I just feel like Jump Plus is a bit more interesting because like, I feel like there's a better variety of titles on that service most of the time. Yeah, I feel like the culture is just different of like, it aims a little older, so you can be a little more daring in some of the content you can explore in your titles. And you don't really have the same mindset of competitiveness in the same way as we Weekly Jump, where, you know, a new series is really having to fight tooth and nail to like, stay in the magazine and compete with like, already big hits. And if they do not thrive in the first couple of weeks, 
they end, but like with a Jump Plus title, like they have a little more leg room, they have a little more freedom, and it's not like you're looking at your table of contents and you're seeing how you're ranking necessarily. I mean, I'm sure you, I don't know if like the Jump Plus authors get their like metrics. They probably do get reports about how many hits they're doing, but I think just the mindset is a little different from like the weekly jump culture and then also there's just a little more legroom there's a little more freedom in terms of like allowing authors to experiment their series and kind of find their voice and find their place with their series just a little more ability for them to find themselves before making a decision of whether a series will continue or not so i think that helps it and also i think the flexible schedules are a big help the fact that Spy Family and Kaiju Number 8 don't have to be on a weekly schedule. They can take breaks. And that's another thing that is a change in mindset. It's like, it doesn't have to be weekly unless you want it to be. You can do it at your own pace. It helps. I think it helps the authors just probably maintain a schedule that works for them better and produce better quality work in a healthier way. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. But still, yeah, I'm, I'm just happy that these Jump Plus titles are doing pretty well. And I, I, I genuinely look forward to what comes out of Jump Plus nowadays. Absolutely. But to continue on with the rest of the list, going to some weekly show to Jump titles, uh, we have Jujutsu Kaisen, volume 18, ranking at number five on the list. Newest volume of Jujutsu Kaisen, always does well. You know, not, not the thing taking over the list, mind you, but still pretty popular. Along with the next thing on the list with volume one of Demon Slayer, ranking at number 10. Like we said before, Demon Slayer Volume 1, pretty reliable Volume 1, especially in the group of stuff like, you know, this and My Hero Academia, Berserk, Attack on Titan, belongs in the group of those usual, like, Volume 1s that you see pretty much almost every list from time to time. Yeah, for sure. Like, it's just another title that we can regularly expect to be on the list. And I'm, I'm sure that, you know, with Demon Slayer's next season coming out in April, we'll see, like, another surge in popularity and population of volumes on the list. So, you know, it comes in waves. Um, Next up, we have One Piece Volume 101, ranking at number 11 on the list. Again, One Piece is another really interesting title in that New volumes don't, like, always rank on the list, but it is kind of interesting to see, like, a new volume pop up every once in a while. I think we're in a state where One Piece is another kind of upswing in popularity, and I think that's why we're reliably seeing more new volumes populate and appear on the book scan list when they debut. And I think that's just an interesting trend for One Piece, a series that has been published for as long as it has, is continuing to just grow in audience, which makes sense. There's always going to be new fans coming in because it's such a long-running series. But I think particularly with so many of the big events that happened for One Piece last year, like we're seeing just another upswing in people coming into the manga excited and eager to purchase new volumes and see where the story is going. So I would not be surprised if from here on out we do regularly see new volumes of One Piece appear on the list when they debut. And they may not rank as high as like Chainsaw Man or whatever, like the new hotness stuff. But I think One Piece, you know, it's been a reliable seller. I think it's going to continue to be a very reliable seller. I wouldn't be surprised if it continues to grow in sales, you know, as the final arc continues and people get even more excited to catch up and see what's going on in it. For sure. And then last but not least, speaking of reliable volume ones earlier, we have volume one of the deluxe edition of Berserk coming in at number 16 on the list. 
the dark horse, literally the only non-viz <laughs> slash Shonen Jump title on this list, but a welcome reprieve to have. It's still a battle manga, but like a more darker adult fair battle manga in the top 20 to round out all the other like battle shonen action stuff. So yeah, appreciate the variety that not, it's not all of it. It's not all one publisher. At least we have Berserk are all reliable. Yeah, it's, you know, 10% of it roughly, maybe 5% of the list is taken up by one publisher. Yeah. But yeah, I've, again, I don't think there's anything else to say about this list. Again, Chainsaw Man basically takes over half of it, along with, you know, a volume or two of the other straggling, but still very popular other titles that still managed to make an appearance on this list. It's a very interesting time for Chainsaw Man. I'm genuinely very curious about how long the momentum on this is going to last, because I feel like we haven't seen like a title with this level of popularity since My Hero Academia, where it's just like multiple volumes just take up the list at one time. Or at least this many. No, I would agree with that. It's a rarity. It's not something that happens often. So I do think that, yeah. It's cool to see Chainsaw Man finally accomplish this. And Chainsaw Man is, just continues to be as popular as ever. So I just want to see like the heights it can reach in popularity. And if we can, I mean, if we can reach that next milestone of all 20 spots being Chainsaw Man, that'd be wild. Look, it could happen. You never know. But... That's really about it for the book scan list, but we're not totally done with list news yet. Lum, if you want to cover the next piece. Yeah, I just wanted to touch on the latest ALA top graphic novels for adults reading list because Freyren actually made the top 10 of their list, which I think is a pretty cool accolade. The American Library Association every year does their recommendations for what the best graphic novels for adults were, and Freyren makes the list. And yeah, Freyren, you know, very critically beloved, very great series, so good to see it get some acknowledgement. And also good to see other great titles is being nodged in their full list, including Jujutsu's Black Paradox, Yamana Murasaki's Talk to My Back, and Aisuke Hirashi's Witches. And also Takisoma's Sleeping While Standing, which appear under their nonfiction category. So yeah, just wanted to touch on that. So those are some recs for you, Freyren being on the top of the list for you to check out if you're looking for some good, more adult-oriented graphic novels to check out, especially in the manga realm. So now we're going to get into our serialization news. First, we're going to mention that Akita Shoten has launched a new Webtoons brand called JToon. Basically, that's their first vertical scrolling and full color manga service. So, you know, just how most Webtoons tend to be presented. And it has launched at the time you're listening to this at the end of February on several manga apps and ebook stores with five titles, including Little Killer by Kosuke Nakatsu, Kosuke Tokumine, and Shine Partners. Yaku Kareshi or Contract Brufen by Sagore Yukoako and Minami Tamano. I Thought This Was Love, an Age Gap Merit Story by Shinobu Kuroda and Shine Partners. Kill Myself by Masake, Kitahara, and Kengo Gonke. And I Will Win the Lottery and Get in a Fixed Marriage in a Celebrity Town by Ron Sakura, Mao Mukai, and Kurumi Tsubumu. 
So yeah, we don't quite know the exact apps that ebook stores JTune is available just yet from the announcement, but you probably will know by the time this episode comes out. And yeah, it's interesting to see more manga publishers are specifically getting into webtoons as a mode of presentation, as a form of comics they are exploring and promoting. Akira Shonen is the latest publisher to do so, and it's interesting to see that evolution into that space. So yeah, just wanted to mention that. And now we're going to get into some new manga debuts from returning authors that you can get really excited about. I'm really excited about a lot of these. We've got a new series coming from the author of working, Karina Takayatsu. And this series is called Merry Go Round. It's going to come out in the March 17th issue of Young Gangan. It is described as a marriage battle comedy manga that's going to take place in a marriage share house and will center on a protagonist who knows nothing about love and is hopeless when it comes to love. I can only imagine what a marriage battle comedy means, what a marriage share house is. This is like... You're competing to marry each other. It's kind of like a dating show where people like are all living together. And it's like, who's going to hook up? Who's going to get together? And it's like you're competing with each other over who can get with who. I don't know. Because it's based on a protagonist who knows nothing about love and it's hopeless come to love. I have to imagine that they're single going into it. So it's not like married couples from the start. But it's an interesting thing. So what you're telling me is... Is that this is going to be like, what if The Bachelor were a manga? Essentially, I think that there's probably even more apt comparisons because Bachelor is like a bunch of people are all competing for like one suitor. But I have to imagine it'll probably be like kind of more of an even mix of people trying to hook up with each other, not just one person they're trying to hook up with. But yeah, it's, I don't know. But it's interesting and I'm just interested in seeing a new work by Karino Takatsu. I have liked what I've seen of working, and I really liked My Monster Girl's Too Cool For You. So yeah, I'm curious to see what how the new manga is going to turn out, and I'm sure Square Enix will license it over here, and I'll be keen to check it out when it is released over here. And perhaps it'll be published on Manga Up, like this next title, because Takaoji Kato is also launching a new manga called Mechanical Buddy Universe 1.0. It's basically a new arc for their previous one volume series, Mechanical Buddy Universe. And that has been published on Manga Up. So I'm sure like this new sequel series will also be published there as well. So that's what I've been interested in checking out because of the art. So I'll be curious to check out the sequel as well. So some new Square Enix titles to look forward to. A uh, title I am especially looking forward to is the next work by Wotakoi author Fujita, who Uchijinja, the publisher, recently announced that they are launching a new web manga label called Comic Howl. And for this service, Fujita is launching a new manga called Villain. There's also going to be a sequel to Masamune Kun's Revenge called Masamune Kun's Revenge Engagement also coming to that platform in the spring. So the Comic Howl new label is going to focus on vocaloid horror and emotional youth themes, which feels like a really uh, big shift from, you know, Wotakoi being like this workplace otaku love comedy. But, you know, 
I think that from what I heard described, it explores a lot of like gender identity issues, some interesting psychology in it. And the art looks really striking, but great palette, really gorgeous. And apparently it's based on Vocaloid producer Ten Wohau's villain song, which came out in February 2020. So it's interesting to have Fujita's next manga kind of be inspired and based on this Vocaloid song and kind of expand on it and take it in an interesting direction. I'm a big fan of Wodokoi. I read through the series last year and really loved it. And so I'm definitely excited for Fujita's next work. And hopefully we'll see it get licensed before too long because I'd love to read it as soon as possible. And Masamune Kun's Revenge, I don't know how it's series ended. I imagine it probably had a decent ending. So as you're looking forward to more of this series, uh, the sequel should sound up your alley. And I'm sure Seven Seas will probably pick it up at some point as well. Next, we've got a new manga from Akiko Morishima that I'm especially excited about. Uh, this is called The Single Life. The English translation of it has also just been released as of February 15th, so I definitely gotta check it out. But this series is basically about a 60-year-old lesbian woman who's single and living alone. She doesn't have a partner or a girlfriend, but she's in her 60s and she is a lesbian, and it's just a series of short stories to portray just her life of enjoying like hey you know elderly queer people are out there and they have lives they're living and they're not always in relationships but like that doesn't invalidate their identity and how they express themselves and yeah i think that is really cool i'm really keen to read it uh, as soon as i can get a hold of it and check out the release but yeah i also like morishima's manga like their adaptation of yuri bearstone and of course the conditions of paradise so i always glad to see more of her works get licensed in terms of like mangaka coming back who have also like on the flip side of like love the <laughs> story manga uh, from Wodokoi uh, or Morishima's work we've got Oyoria Saga the creator of Dear Sacha and they are coming back on a new series in March 2023 we don't really know yet if it's going to be on Jump Plus but considering like her last work was it probably will be Especially since there's also a free volume campaign that's going on right now for Dear Sachan until March 5th of 2023. So it feels like, oh, that might be a tie-in to the debut of her new work. So, yeah, I mean, Dear Sachan went to some wild places. Uh, it had a very <laughs> bizarre ending, uh, to put it mildly. But, you know, even if the Osage could be described as, like, a train wreck, it was a fascinating train wreck of a story <laughs> in terms of, like, all the crazy psychology of the characters and the way the relationships panned out in just the most unhealthy and toxic of ways. So, yeah, I am certainly curious to see what Ioria Saga's next work will turn out to be. And who knows, maybe she'll pull an opposite of the domestic girlfriend author who started out with a really awesome series before going to a more trashy series. Maybe a saga will go from having a trashy series like Dear Sachan into like a really like wholesome, lovely romance series. So who knows what their next work will be like. Or they could just stay in the trash. 
Yeah, they could just uh, <laughs> stay in the trash. So I'm looking at their one shot that they published in December of 2022. The auto-translated title is, I'm sorry, mom, I'm going to host during Corona Misfortune about an office lady who works in Tokyo. Her mother's overburdenness escalated in the wake of Corona. She felt suffocated, but then she stopped by Shinjuku Kabukicho and met a host named Hayato. Um, so it looks like basically a story of like a woman who after the pandemic or I guess in the middle of the pandemic is going to this host club just kind of to escape her overbearing mother. So I don't know if like Asaga's new series is going to be an expansion on this premise. But it doesn't sound like quite on the same level. Uh, it, it doesn't sound like an inherently like trashy premise like Dear Sachan of like a guy cheating on his girlfriend with his older next door neighbor. Like it sounds like that one that could actually explore like catharsis in an interesting way. But like just looking through the art and like how Asaka draws the characters, I can imagine it's also going to go into some dark messed up psychology, especially as like the girl like encounters this host kissing what I presume to be his girlfriend girlfriend or a client and then having a breakdown because of that and then getting into another confrontation with her mother about that i wonder it's gonna be interesting if her new manga is gonna be an expansion on this because it seems like this one shot kind of ends up a subcontained mode of her reconciling with her mother but uh yeah you know uh, one thing i will say is that Asaga art is always very evocative and strong she is good like at some really painful emotions expressed to her art especially arts showing disturbing the psychology of her characters like this two-page spread in the middle of this one shot where it's just the character taking her mask and crying and just looking just so bewildered and crazed it's like just fantastic so i'm looking forward to saga's next work just on the strength of her art alone because it is really fun stuff so yeah i'm curious very curious very interested now, in terms of some new manga related to existing titles that you are really familiar with and a fan of, you know, Cell at work, there's like over half a dozen series now. Add one more. <laughs> Soon we'll have more than you can count on your fingers. But for now, we've got Cells at Work Muscle. So Cells at Work Muscle is kind of as self-described about the muscle cells in your body and yeah it's a new spinoff that is being done by Yu Maeda it's going to be published on morning two the first chapter of it was published in the final issue of evening magazine before you know now the series is continuing on morning two so that's interesting but yeah you know, another Cells at Work spinoff to add to the list. There is now more than enough titles not to just do a Cells at Work month, but a Cells at Work season. Or at some point, we might have enough to do a Cells at Work year. This entire <laughs> Cells at Work podcast. You know, honestly, there is enough <laughs> content out there to do a Cells at Work podcast. I am surprised that someone is not already doing that. But yeah, there's at this point... Oh my god, I think that we're actually over the number of titles you can count on your fingers, actually. I think we're actually at over 10 titles, maybe at a dozen cells and work titles, counting these up, so. We have more than 10? Uh, yeah, it looks like. No! No! <laughs> no! <laughs> what? So, then we have cells and work. Okay. Cells and work code black. Cells at work bacteria, cells at work neobacteria, 
Sells at work white brigade. Sells at work baby. Sells not at work. Sells at work and friends. Sells at work playtets. Sells at work lady. And now this. Sells at work muscle. That's like 11 series. We could literally do... If we wanted to, we could we could literally do an episode on something sells at work related once a month for almost a year. <laughs> no, seriously, actually, we do have enough titles for the sells at work year. So, I mean, oh my just God. one more and be a perfect <laughs> dozen for the entire year. So, yeah. <laughs> you know what? Make that a we'll make that a Patreon goal. Uh, we'll, we'll, for our Patreon bonus pods, if we get to a certain uh, amount on our Patreon, we'll do a sells at work year for our bonus pods for a year, or we just review all the sells at work series. Oh God. You know what? That's that's stupid enough that we should do it. Let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> we'll put ourselves at work here. <laughs> this is this is what we get for recording this podcast so late at night. I become more okay with doing stupid stuff like this. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just do it. God. I'm gonna be reeling over that for the rest of the episode. Well, speaking of like manga titles, spinoffs, this one is taking a break. I actually did not even realize it was still running, but it's <laughs> GTO Paradise Lost. It's going on hiatus and it's going to return early summer. It's been running since 2014 and I have lost track of it for a couple of years now because Crunchyroll stopped simul-publishing the manga in 2018, but Kodansha is still, you know, releasing the volumes digitally. And in 2021, I remembered us reporting that GTO Paradise Lost was supposed to be the last manga in the GTO series, and I thought that it was going to be heading to its ending, but, you know, it's still running and it's actually uh, not really in its its final phase at all it doesn't sound like but so it's, it's still going it's just taking a short break it's coming back but yeah no you know if you've, you've been missing gto well it never left uh, he's still there he's he's not lost at all so is that paradise i guess you can read the series and decide for yourself uh, in my opinion uh, i think it would be better if Tonizuka is locked away uh, never to come back out into the world but you know we'll see I would genuinely love to know, not even just, like, how many people are reading it over here. Like, I really want to know how many people are actually, like, keeping up with this manga as it's coming out. Like, how, how many people are actually, like, this invested in the GTO franchise at this point? I feel like it can't be, like, a whole lot of people, right? Well, it clearly it must be for the series to continue running for as long as it has. I'm Maybe? I mean, I don't know about, like, over here in the U.S. where the volumes are only being released digitally, but, I mean, in Japan, GTO, I'm sure, is still a very popular title and character, so, you know, Fujisawa can do what he wants in terms of continuing the series as long as he wants, I guess. I guess, yeah. I don't know. I just, I mean, obviously, like you said, it's it's not being simulpubbed anymore, but obviously volumes are still coming out somehow. I just, I don't know, like... We're both in our own little bubbles, whatever, but, like, I don't know, I just, I, I never hear anybody talk about this, I've never seen anybody, like, mention it, I don't know, like, I almost want to read it just because I hear nobody talking about it, but then that th this becomes another thing, like, with Platinum N, where it's like, I'm not hearing anybody talking about it, I wonder why. <laughs> it is just more GTO, but inferior. Not as good, yeah. Yeah. 
It's just it has this premise of like, oh, now Onizuka is teaching a class for celebrities. And it's like, well, it doesn't it kind of fizzles out on that premise. And it's like the real interesting hook was that, oh, Onizuka is in prison. How do you enter a prison? It's like it really never circles back to that as far as I read. And I read for quite a long time. So, yeah, I don't know. I would rather have the series been Onizuka in prison. That sounded interesting. But then it's like, no, it's it's more GTO, but he's teaching rich celeb kids now. It is not as interesting as like the original series. Yeah, yeah. I I'm I'm sure I've said this before, but like I don't know how you don't deliver on a premise like that. Onizuka in prison. That should be like a genuinely really great read, but no. Yeah. It's just <laughs> why. Ugh. I don't I don't know how you I don't know how you fuck up that bad honestly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't know. I, I honestly ever ever since we recorded about the original GTO like years ago at this point, I'm pretty sure Nick was the one who told us on that episode like everything after the original GTO basically isn't worth checking out. <laughs> yeah, I mean I've read everything after the original GTO and I would agree with that assessment. So, god well, eventually we'll get to before GTO and cover Shona and Yonagumi, which uh, there's some things that don't hold up great in that, but there's still a lot of fun. Oh, I'm expecting there. it. Yeah. 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 I still got to get around to collecting it. Hopefully Kodansha will just release that digitally at some point so I don't have to do that. But if they do, then yeah, I'm sure we'll get to that sooner if that happens. Yeah. Well, in terms of other Kodansha titles going on hiatus, Grand Blue Dreaming has gone on hiatus, um, unfortunately due to the author's sudden illness, and we don't really have an uh, idea of when it'll return, but hopefully they are taking care, resting and recovering well, and yeah, the series will resume when they are healthy and feeling up to work again. So, yeah, just wishing the best for the health of the Octorus Fallen Ill. We don't really know which of the duo has fallen ill, it didn't specify, but wishing the best for both of them. And now getting to some series that are ending, we have got an announcement that Ariadne in the Blue Sky by Norihiko Yagi is going to be ending soon in the 22nd volume of the series that is going to come out on March 16th. So the series has ended in Weekly Shonen Sunday about the time you're listening to this. And yeah, this was a series that I'd seen like Sakaki talk about in his Sunday treads every week. And it always looked interesting. The art looked fantastic. And honestly, I like Flame more what I read of it. So I've always been interested in checking this out. It's a shame this has not gotten licensed yet, but... Now that it's complete, maybe we'll see someone like evaluate it and hopefully give it a shot. But regardless, it looks like a very beautifully drawn series with a great, interesting kind of basically castle in the sky inspired premise from how it was described. So I am curious about it and hopefully I'll get the chance to read it officially one day. Another title that is actually gone on hiatus but is also going to be ending soon is Altair, A Record of Battles by Katono Kato. That is going to take a break for at least a month, the April issue of Monthly Shonen Sirius, and presumably come back the following month, and it's also going to end in a few chapters, as Kato is currently working hard on the climax scene of the series. I read a little bit of the series, and watched a little bit of the anime when it came out, and I enjoyed it. 
is very beautifully drawn and is an interesting kind of like fantasy-ish imagining of the Turkish Empire. So you got like a some interesting aesthetic to it. It's a fun story for what it is in terms of like a being like kind of a political intrigue like war drama thing so yeah you know i would say it's like similar to arzon and stuff like that so yeah i would i enjoyed what i read of it i'd definitely be interested in uh, catching up and checking it out more as it's coming to an end but yeah this series has had a pretty healthy run it's been going on since 2007 so coming to an end after 16 years so quite a run and uh looking forward to seeing the ending deliver on like that incredible span of time that the series has been in serialization another manga ending soon in march is my androgynous boyfriend this is going to end on march 8th the next issue of should just feel young and yeah this is a series that i really enjoyed it just like exploring just a gender queer like character and just a nice slice of life romance about it so it's a cute charming series and i'm definitely keen to see how this series ends as well it's also a fairly short series so it's one that it'll be easy to catch up on and check out so looking forward to that uh, another big series that is ending soon is Noragami by Adachi Toka. That's going to end with the series' 27th volume, which will come out by the end of 2023. And the 26th volume just shipped uh, in February, just recently. So, you know, we're only got a couple chapters left before Noragami reaches the end. And yeah, I really enjoyed Noragami a lot. I really have not like checked back in with it after the point where the anime covered. So there's a lot of story for me to catch up on, but... Yeah, I really enjoy this series and really, again, keen to follow it to the ending, especially since it's had such a long, healthy run as well. You know, it started 2010, and so ending after 13 years, you know, for a decade of time. So quite a long run. And yeah, just I'm very excited and keen to see it's through the conclusion. And maybe, hopefully, with it ending, we might see maybe more anime get greenlit for it. I would like that. Uh, the anime adaptation origami was really stunning really well animated and done so uh, i am the music man the openings they chose for that series were just fantastic i still listen to those so definitely would love to see more noragami anime be made but also just excited for just read the end of the story noragami is definitely one of those things where i got recommended to check out the anime i think i got like four or five episodes in oh, that's not very far yeah i mean i, I should also say my this particular friend of mine, bless her heart, because she knew I was really into Gintama, actually told me word for word, hey, you should check out Noragami. It's like a watered-down Gintama. And I don't think Why she... Why would that be a good recommendation? Why would you watch the watered-down <laughs> version of the thing you like when you can watch the thing you like? There's so much Gintama to watch. Why would you watch the watered-down version? Like, I don't, I don't think that meant what she thought it meant. Yeah. I think she just said that because it's like, oh, it's like this thing that Colton likes. I should say that. And it's like, like I can kind of see like some similarities in the setup and premise or whatever here and there, but it's like... Yeah, I, I think that was the thing that like turned me off back in the day where it's like, well, if it's just if, if it's not as good as Gintama, why, why can't I just watch Gintama? <laughs> yeah, not the adjective I would choose when recommending something. No, someone. not at all. <laughs> no. Um, but yeah, I don't know. But like I hear I every time I see people talk about it, like people really like hype it the fuck up and like really love it. So it makes me think like I should probably try it again at some point, but without the expectation of it being like not as good as Gintama that that like actually did kind of sour me on it a little bit. So I don't know. I'd like to try it again at some point.
because again, I just hear constant like really good word of mouth for it, especially for like the later parts of the series. Yeah, I really enjoy it. I think the Norgami was also a slow burn for me, but when it hit the second season, then the second season really hit. It was that story material was fantastic. So you just got to get to like the Bishamon arc. I mean, also, I think with Noragami, the first season also ends with like kind of anime original stuff, which ah, is okay. fine, but not as interesting as like kind of the core stuff for the manga. So yeah, but I do, I didn't come to really like the series. I, there was a lot I liked in the first season, but the second season especially like made me a big fan. So definitely would recommend like getting that far and seeing how you feel. Yeah, I'll try it again one day. It's it's on my list of things to come back to eventually. Yeah, yeah. So moving now to some Shueisha slash Jump stuff. Another series that's ending is Naruto Sasuke Story, the Uchiha and the Heavenly Stardust, the manga adaptation of the light novel. The anime adaptation of this light novel actually ended like quite a bit ago. They covered it in the anime and then they, like the anime version started after the manga came out, but it's already ended and like they're now pretty good ways into the code arc. But yes, the manga version is shooting in like a chapter or two from my guess at the pacing of the story. I haven't like watched the anime version to compare like how far it is comparatively but i have been enjoying the story a lot it's done a lot to explore sasuke and sakura's relationship in a fun way and it's it's in general it's like a good like kind of suspense mystery arc and story so yeah i've been enjoying it and definitely keen to see it through to the ending but in terms of like other jump stuff that has ended recently, well, uh, there's a lot. It looks like we're kind of going through a big culling of Shonen Jump titles, uh, maybe getting prepped for a new influx of newer titles. Well, first to talk about is that Kubo Won't Be Invisible, which is a Jump Plus series and the anime. It was currently airing, but then because of COVID-related stuff, it's taking a break and it's going to restart in April. But... I think the plan was for the anime to air the season in conjunction and timing with the fact that the manga has just now ended, or it has ended by the time you're listening to this. There's still one chapter left to go at the time of recording this, but I mentioned it before, but I really enjoyed the series. It was just a really cute, charming, something like series about a guy who's kind of able to be convinced by this more like socially active girl to kind of get out of his comfort zone and make friends. And this guy who is like, just not noticed before you know it finds people who really care and support him as good friends and the ending is really sweet like it's basically just building up to Shiraishi like about to confess his feelings to Kubo like you know they set a time for it where he's just going to go out and come out and say it and you know the penultimate chapter was really sweet of just all his friends like kind of really showing their support for him and showing their like care like you go do it you know you go and then I thought that was just so sweet and they got the blessings of uh, Kubo's sisters, and that was sweet. It's the series is very sweet. I think the ending is going to be just another heart warmer, and I'll miss it. It's just been a very charming series to read, and I'm curious to see if the anime plans to adapt the ending. Even though there's a lot of story to cover, I don't know how far they might be skipping on. I haven't actually like checked out much of the anime yet, but no, I think I'll miss the series enough that I'll probably check out the anime when it comes back as well. So yeah, I really enjoy the series, but you know, I really enjoy all the series that uh, are ending or have ended. Because High School Family, you know, another charming, funny series uh, also ended. And that one... 
It ended also with a sweet note, kind of a similar way of like in the penultimate chapter, Ichiro kind of lost his memory. So we had like the entire chapter spent all the family and all their friends like trying to remind him of the connections he's made during his time in high school. And it comes to like a great point where like kind of pseudo comes in and is like, hey, don't you forget? Because like in the previous chapter, like Ichiro reached out to him when he had run away to like convince him to come back to the team. So I thought that was really sweet, again, to kind of touch on, like, all the relationships these characters, like, kind of made throughout the series. And then the final chapter was, like, a flash forward to their graduation, where it almost feels like... The author is, is, introduces like a completely new premise for a series <laughs> because like the framing of the, the final chapter is like this girl is upset that she has to go to school with like a cyborg basically. And then she just stumbles in into the graduation ceremony for Happy High School and sees like the Iatani family graduate and she's like taken aback just one by one of like, oh, there's this normal looking boy that there's like, what a middle-aged man a middle-aged woman a grade schooler and then a cat and that just throws her for a loop but after seeing all that craziness she catches back up with a cyborg and it's like you know what fine yeah let's go to school together and it's like yeah it feels like wait it's like you're not coming now introducing this idea of, okay well high school family we went so far with that but how about this girl goes to school with a, a cyborg how about that for a series and i feel like well i think it should go okay already uh kind of took your thunder there uh, yeah but, um, <laughs> you know I, I just thought that was a funny framing a choice to have the ending uh it's just a funny ending after having a sweeter ending uh, and beats like in the previous chapters but it is a shame that we never got to see the volleyball team's like comeback arc of like winning the spring qualifiers and going to the nationals because they had the flash forward past that to the series ending so that was a shame but uh, high school family enjoyed it a lot Sad that it's over, but looking forward to Rio Nakama's next work. Reliably funny, charming stuff. But I think that as rushed as the ending of High School Family was, I am thrown for a loop with the ending of the next series. Because I did not expect it at all based on the events and pacing of the series. Because PPPPPP has ended by the time you're listening to this. With 70 chapters. Yeah. And I did not expect this because, like, I have not read the final chapter yet. But in the penultimate chapter, it just goes into, like, Dada's backstory to explain kind of his history of Gakuan and, like, why he was said to have been the one person to win against Gakuan. But to me, that felt like a setup to a new phase of the story, a new arc, rather than, like, a conclusion. And we had... You know, we still had two siblings who had really yet to be fully explored. Like, I think he tried to do his best with Chikato and Don, but we really did not get far with them. It was super rushed. I didn't feel like it was the end of, like, exploring those characters, the one chapter that they had. It felt like, oh, that this is, like, kind of the prelude to the next arc where we'll be exploring them. So it's like, uh, I was very surprised. Now, I have not read the final chapter yet, but Wee Lord apparently found out the spoilers, and in his words, he called it fucked up but kind of amazing, and uh, <laughs> I I am very curious to see what that means uh, and read that for myself, but yeah, I mean, we had someone feel validated by the fact that we call PPPPP the secret best series running in Shonen Jump in our Shonen Jump retrospective. 
for last year. And yeah, I mean, I stand by that. I Same, enjoy yeah. that series so immensely. It was one of my favorite things to read in Jump. And so I'm really going to miss it now that it's ending. So yeah, it's, it's a real shame. But I would just hope that the ending can be as strong as it can be under these circumstances and feel satisfying and that Apollos 3 is able to have even more success for their next work because they are such a talented artist and storyteller. So I'm really looking forward to reading more stuff of theirs. Yeah, I, I am a little behind. So I don't know. I this is one of the few times where like, okay, I gotta catch up on this thing and I, I got I gotta see how this ends, which again, by the time this episode is out, we'll know how it ends. But still, in the moment right now, I just I mean, I was also really surprised to hear that like I think we can safely assume this probably got canned, maybe. I mean, yeah, it's clearly canceled. This was I don't think it was plan to end at this point because again there were two entire siblings who had not been explored yet there is so much more to explore with the characters i mean we haven't really touched back with lucky in quite a few chapters because there's been so much to explore with other characters and their stories so it's like i feel like there's still so much story to tell with this series and uh, it really is surprising that it's ending and it's a shame that it looks like it was canceled Honestly, Mapolo 3 comes off as the kind of person, as the kind of writer, creator, who I feel like even under these circumstances, if what V-Lord is saying is true, then I feel like even if the story doesn't like totally wrap up every loose end, I kind of feel like that probably won't hurt the comic somehow. Like, I, I weirdly kind of have faith in this series. Mm-hmm. It's really hard to explain. Like, we talked about this so much in our Shonen Jump retrospective, which people should go listen to that, by the way, patreon.com slash manga mavericks. And we talked about it there so much. But yeah, it really is like the secret best thing in Jump. I was just so flabbergasted by like, you know, reading like the past year's worth of chapters and just being like, wow, like, I, I don't know. I'm just disappointed that it's ending as soon as it is. But like I said, I'm very hopeful that even under these circumstances that it might just be able to stick the landing somehow. I weirdly do have faith in the series to do it. Yeah. I mean, by the time you're listening to this, I mean, listeners, you'll know how things have turned out with the series. But sitting here two days before the final chapter comes out, I, I remain very curious. But I enjoy the series so much, I'm sure that the ending will nail it in whatever tone it's trying to go for. Listeners, feel free to laugh at us if it turns out the ending of the series is actually really, really bad and we were wrong. But until then, <laughs> until we read the final chapter, I think it's safe to say that Lum and I are still very optimistic. Yeah. And before we move on from this recent match of Kenslayers, I also just want to say that High School Family is actually going to have exclusive additional chapters in the final volumes of the series. So potentially the 10th volume will be the final, but it might even extend to the 11th volume, depending on how many of those additional chapters there are. So that'll be something that I'll definitely be keen to buy the volumes for to read that extra stuff they don't get added to the jump vault and then pvpvp will end with the eight volume so yeah i don't know if we'll get any extra content in that because it's already kind of a pretty full chapter roster that would be in that volume but Alas. Mm. I mean, depending on how this last chapter ends, we can only hope. It would be nice if we got at least, like, maybe, like, an extra chapter. I don't know. It, it would be nice to get, like, some bonus content for PPPPP in general. But we'll see. 
But yeah, with those series ending, it does leave a question of whether we're getting geared up to get some new debuts in Jump soon. If like they've been ended to make room for some new series. So that'll be something to keep an eye on. We haven't gotten any announcements yet. Do we have another circulation round coming? But if it is, I will definitely keep you posted. I'll definitely be reviewing those at some point. But speaking of new manga debuts, we do got two to mention. First, we've got a new series on Manga Plus called Stand for Salvation by Osamu Koski. This is a series that's basically about angels like the Archangel Michael is the protagonist. And the idea is like, you know, angels obviously like are fighting with demons to save the souls of people and convert followers and stuff. And so the Archangel Michael like one day discovers that a demon has become like a rock star and has gained like a big following. And so he thinks that he's like trying to kind of lure people into like sell their souls to him even though like it, it really feels like this demon is just like became into being a rock star just independently of that but michael like thinks that oh no like he's got a big fan base and i gotta like go out and compete with that and try and get people to the side of good of the holy and so he realizes you know if he's a rock star i'll compete with him as an idol basically and he's joined by Raphael under archangel and that's basically the premise so far i would describe it as like there's a little bit of devil may cryish energy to the scenes that involve like the demon rock star character and then the rest of the humor i guess i don't quite know how to place it but it's it's a charming little kind of slice of life comedy it's not super slice of life but it's like a charming comedy of just of these angels and demons meeting each other and he'll end it while i think that's like a good tone but it doesn't go as wild as that so yeah i've been enjoying it so far it's been a fun read so you can check that out among us and uh as far as translation goes i think the translation has been reading pretty good for that so not a gangster neighbor type of situation I think the big debut that people have been excited for for quite a while now um, is available from both Manga Plus and Viz, Beat and Motion by Noki Fujita. Noki Fujita and this title you may recognize as the winner of the Million Tag reality show, the Jump Plus competition show, where they had like six teams of manga artists and editors compete against each other to see who would get their work not only serialized on Jump Plus, but also get an anime adaptation by Netflix. So... This series already has an anime plan for it, which uh, I think it really lends itself well to that, considering the premise is that it's about like an animator who in his childhood kind of gave up on his dreams of drawing because, you know, he got under a lot of social stigma for that. People found like him life drawing a classmate creepy and so got kind of shamed into giving it up. And then he became like a musician instead for a few years, but he, you know, never was very successful at it with his band. And he was just frustrated that, you know, he's was never like achieving what he wanted to in his dreams and that there are like people younger than him that are finding more success so he kind of gets down in the dumps and then like one night like at a bar with his friends like he's kind of being a cynical guy about someone who is like trying to be excited about like oh i'm gonna be a writer i'm gonna enter this contest and he's like yeah i guess you can keep dreaming and so he gets called out by this drunk girl he doesn't know who like says, you have a pretty bad attitude. You know, you should not put other people down just because your dreams didn't pan out. Why don't you just do what you really want to do? And like, why not pretend that you already ended one life? So why don't you go live a new one to the fullest? 
And that kind of gives him the kick in the pants he needs to like kind of re-explore his passion for animation, get back into drawing. And uh, he, you know, just dedicates himself to it. And over a period of a few months, he animates his own short animation. And that goes viral and it catches the attention of his favorite singer. And he gets an offer to make an animated music video for her. And he's so excited. And so he goes to meet with her. And wouldn't you know it, it was the drunk girl who chastised him uh, after that night at the bar that gave him that game of the pants so she doesn't recognize him at all but you know it's just kind of this awkward interesting thing that like he is now making an animated music video for his favorite singer who also happens to be someone who was the person who like gave him the kick in the pants to like get back into animation and also puked all over him. <laughs> so yeah, it's a really good first chapter. Really charming story so far. Obviously, it hits me pretty well in the last sweet spots because of its focus on a character who had a passion for animation, and then the collaboration between two different artists, like this musician and this animator, and just other teams of like exploring your dreams, things not panning out, then refining your passion for things. It's got like a really good like true line in the first chapter good emotional arc and hook and i'm really interested in seeing like how the story goes from here and yeah from the comments in the million tag final episode about the one shot that fuja drew for that i mean i would definitely echo like the sentiments they had of like oh it was a really well-realized story and it showed a lot of promise and potential uh, and certainly, I think in terms of like the producer mindset of like Netflix looking for something that they can make into something in animation, I mean, this lends up pretty well, not just to actually animate the music video that the characters create, but like the fact that this is a story about a character who is interested in animation, you know, that perfectly lends itself to be animated. So yeah, it's really interesting new multimedia project, a really just strong new debut for this manga. And I'm really excited to keep reading it. So yeah, this is one that's been long anticipated because the million tag competition like ended in uh, 2021 so they've been working on this for a little while now but yeah so it's finally here and it's really good and i'm really looking forward to reading more obviously we'll be talking about both of these a lot more in detail when, whenever we get back to covering more cyber pups on the show for sure i'm definitely curious to see how my thoughts expand on these titles the more chapters come out of them especially with beat in motion because it really is at the storyline i'm super curious to see like what other areas territory explores in terms of like the process of creating art especially animation and music and two different artists from different fields working together that's really exciting stuff uh, but there's also some other cool things to check out and read on some other platforms, especially Mangamo. Mangamo has added some new titles that have launched on the service, starting with Killing Bites by Kazusa Sumita and Shinya Murata. Uh, you may remember the anime of this from a few years ago. Basically, this is about the world of half-animal people doing this underground blood sport competition where they are fighting to debt for like rival power-hungry like forces in the underworld, the shadow, you know, shadow organizations and stuff. And the protagonist is just a guy who kind of got roped into participating in this. So yeah, that is one that I heard is a little trashy, but it sounds like a lot of fun. So definitely curious to read into that. 
for sweet like cooking slash you know fodder and manga check out you toyota's papa and daddy's home cooking this centers on a chiropractor named Sengoku who is entrusted by his ex-girlfriend to take care of their child and he gets help from his friend Rumi, who's a manga editor who's also a single father with a son and it's just their daily lives as they live together with the children so kind of a gender reversed version of pop life in a way and yeah i think that sounds very sweet it's just like these two dads like raising their children together and we got the force of the fox which is by hanata kenoshita as the writer and illustrator by Yoshi in a way it's basically you know about in the aftermath of the suicide of an idol has been reported the older sister of that idol investigates this because her sister, you know, she had a child, she had reasons to live, so she thinks that her suicide is actually a murder. There's a conspiracy behind it, so she tries to uncover why her sister was killed and uses the teachings of a genius swindler to help her uncover, like, the mysteries buried in, like, the underworld, the seedy side of the entertainment world. So yeah, I think these are... An eclectic arrangement of new titles for Mangamo. I'm definitely especially keen to read Papa and Daddy's Home Cooking. That definitely sounds just so cute and charming up my alley. And yeah, just some good new additions in general. Now, uh, before we get into our licensing list, I just wanted to spotlight Ablaze Publishing for just a bit because they have licensed five uh, Samatezka titles. Guess Kadansha is not the only publisher still in the game. Kadansha and DB aren't the only publisher still in the game of publishing Tesco titles because Ablaze has entered it and they've licensed five titles, including 100 Tales, Tomorrow the Birds, Neo Faust, and a couple of the Shakespeare monitor adaptions like Hamlet, Otello, Taming of the Shrew, Macbeth, and Romeo and Juliet, as well as The Merchant of Venice. And they're going to release these books in the fourth quarter of 2023. And uh, they're working to release these manga physically and digitally cooperating with the iBooks. And yeah, so 100 Tales is going to come out in August. It's basically an adaptation of Faust, but set as a samurai period piece. And yeah, it's about a accountant servicing his lord, sent to debt by Harakiri after being staring at a power struggle, and is offered a chance to save his soul by a witch and his substance. So, you know, does he make like a monkey's paw deal with the devil here? And yeah, that's an interesting one. And then we got Tomorrow the Birds. That's coming in second quarter of 2024. It is like kind of a sci-fi series that looks at a future society in which birds surpass humanity. A parable about how we treat those who aren't like us and the eventual price that must be paid for that arrogance. So it's a tapestry of like a lot of shorter seven page chapters and longer stories. So yeah, that's like kind of an interesting and kind of a futuristic imagining of the world type series. From this guy got some wondrous three vibes, but also some vibes from some storylines in Phoenix. So very curious about that. And you know, speaking of Foss, we've got Neo Foss. It's also coming in the fourth quarter of 2024. Uh, this is another adaptation that is like... Because right, it's Jessica's third interpretation of it. It's actually one of the serializations he was working on at the time of his death. But, you know, he basically continued to work on this series to try and put a new spin and take on the story and the theme. So... Yeah, very excited to experience some new Tesca titles uh, from a new publisher. So good on a blaze from picking these up and setting to work publishing these. And yeah, definitely, definitely keen to check it out. Excited for a chance to read some new Tesca. 
now that we've kind of discussed the Blazes titles, I think it's time to get into our licenses risk to uh, cover everything else that has come out or spotlight highlight some of the titles we are most interested in that have been announced by other publishers. And would you like to go first, Colton? Yeah, no, I can go first. Um, So just to put this out there, we haven't done it the last couple episodes because we haven't had like as many licenses to talk about, or at least not enough to where like, oh, we'll have to cut some to make time for the show. No, we had like, I'm pretty sure when I counted, we had like close to 50 individual licenses. So um, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're just going to highlight a few between the both of us. And I will go ahead and highlight my licenses that I am looking forward to out of uh, all the ones that have been, uh, you know, announced over the past month. Uh, first off, I'm going to start off with some Viz titles. Viz came out with some, you know, some pretty interesting titles, some I'm definitely looking forward to. One that I will get out of the way, this isn't a surprise if you've been keeping up with their JoJo releases, especially with this one, because uh, they have been publishing new chapters of this every week on the show to Jump App, so it was basically inevitable, but we are going to be getting physical releases of JoJo's Bizarre Adventure Part 6 Stone Ocean, which, uh, for those who don't know, is the arc of JoJo starring Jolene Kujo, daughter of Jotaro Kujo from Part 3, where she basically ends up getting sent to prison for a crime she basically got framed for, and uh, she has to fight a bunch of stand users in prison. There's a lot going on in part six. I'm actually watching the anime for this finally. I'm finally getting around to it and um, I've been really enjoying it so far. So obviously I am really looking forward to getting around to the manga version of this eventually. And you know, I say it every time, but I'm just glad that Viz is chugging along with more JoJo's over here in the West. I am now especially excited for them to maybe finally get to steal Ball Run in a couple years because uh, I still haven't read that, but I've heard good things. I'm still making my way through JoJo, but you know, I'm basically loving every bit of it. Yeah, I'm glad part six is finally getting its print release. It's still probably my favorite part. I really love the story, so excited to pick up the volumes. And yeah, I mean, we're getting to the end of the original timeline parts, so we're going to get geared for part seven, which I know so a lot of people have been really excited for, and I'm excited for it. It's a great part. Part. Definitely one of my favorites. And honestly, especially excited for the get Jujolian too. Uh, and, you know, I really hope if it didn't happen yet, but I would love if they would start silent publishing part nine Jojo Lands, but we'll see if they do that. But either way, you know, it's a good time to be Jojo. There's a lot of Jojo coming and happening, and it's exciting. For sure. I should probably also mention that all these Viz titles I am going to be mentioning are coming out sometime this fall, later this year. I know for at least one of them, I think there's probably... Because I think some of these are already like listed on Amazon. I, I didn't really get a chance to look at those. So I'm sure they probably have dates. I totally forgot to double check those. But generally, the, these are all going to be coming out later in the year this fall. But yes, next one I want to mention is Blade of the Moon Princess by Mr. Tatsuya Endo himself, the creator of Spy Family. This is now his second non-spy family work that has been licensed by Viz, in which Princess Kaguya Takenochi isn't the ideal heir to the moon's silver court, but when villainous usurpers attack her people, she must protect the Imperial line. And uh, yeah, doing more research for this, as far as I could tell, this is his third series that he's done. Because I guess Tista was like his first series that he did. And um, yeah, I think this one only lasted for like five volumes. So again, I'm just really happy that we're getting more of Tatsuya Endo's work. I really hope we get to a point where like all of his works are just available through Viz. So yeah, I mean, look, obviously we're both big Spy Family fans and I'm pretty sure we both love Tatsuya Endo's work. So more Tatsuya Endo is something that I won't say no to. Yeah, definitely looking forward to picking this one up. And then the last Viz title I want to mention is Takapi's Original Sin by Taizan 5. 
We have definitely mentioned this on the podcast before because it is all available on Manga Plus if you want to read it. But, you know, if you want, let's face it, probably a better translation of it. Viz is picking it up and uh, is going to be releasing this later in the year. And, you know, thanks to Amazon, we know that uh, this is going to be a two-in-one because this series was originally released in two volumes over in Japan. But when it comes out over here in the U.S., it's going to be a two-in-one. You could just read all of Takapi's original Sin in one complete collection, which is pretty cool. But, uh, you know, if you want to hear the general synopsis that Viz gives for the series, a deceptively cute alien named Takapi lands on Earth and meets a depressed Earthling named Shizuka. Determined to make her smile, Takapi learns quickly that time travel can't heal all wounds. Now, obviously, Lum can speak to this better than I can, but I know that from reputation, this series is a fucking bummer. <laughs> yeah, it's it's dark. It is really harsh. It can feel a little mean at times because of the cruelty that the characters encounter. But ultimately, I think it comes to a cathartic place. I don't think like Taizan needs for the characters to like suffer eternally, but it definitely is one that it's a struggle through suffering. So it's not for like the faint of heart for sure. There's some really like dark triggering stuff in there, but I enjoyed it. I think it's worth it. It's a compelling story. And of course, you know, continue to be a big fan of Taizan's work with the Ichinose family. So, yeah, I'm definitely happy to see that it's getting a print release by Viz. And, yeah, I, I also think that speaks to probably the popularity, not just of the series itself, but probably Ichinose is doing well for them, too. So that seems like a good sign. So, yeah, I mean, Tizen 5 is a rising artist in terms of popularity. Like, people really are enthusiastic about his work. And I'm glad to have the print release of Takapi set to come out later this year. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you've been listening to the show, you guys know that I especially really, really loved what I've read of Ichinose Family. And just on that alone, I'm so ready to check out Takapi. And I'm really hoping that when we can find the time after it's out, maybe we can dedicate an episode to it. Because I'm sure that when I'm done reading it, I'm going to want to get my feelings out somewhere. Yeah, for sure. Like, uh, there's definitely a lot of feels to be had about the series. This podcast is basically going to be my therapy session afterwards. <laughs> yeah, you probably do need a lot of therapy after going through Takapi and all the places it goes. Uh, but I I I love dark shit, so uh, just bring it. Give it to me. <laughs> uh, but that's really about it for the Viz titles I wanted to highlight. Next, we're going to go to Seven Seas, and the first of two titles I want to mention from them is Dungeon Friends Forever by Yasuhisa Kuma. This will be coming out physically and digitally this October, in which Van and Ryuka... The Dragon Girl have been friends since childhood. As adults, Van has become a dashing adventurer, and Ryuka has become the boss of a dangerous dungeon. Now Van has to beat up a bunch of Ryuka's monster underlings every time he wants to bring her food, plan a game night with her, or just hang out in general. Fantasies come to life in this delightful rom-com about two friends on the verge of love and the monsters who ship them. So I just thought this sounded like a pretty interesting like setting for like a nice little slice of life rom-com kind of thing. I don't know what it is. I just judging from like the cover of the first volume, like I kind of weirdly like the character designs, uh, especially for, for Ryuka. I think she looks very cute. And um, I don't know, something about the series makes me feel like I could vibe with it. To me, it just comes off like it could be a nice sweet time. Next up, we have Breakfast with My Two-Tailed Cat by Ai Shimizu. This will also be coming out physically and digitally this December. When a widower tries to move on in the countryside after his wife dies, uh, his solitary life is interrupted by a furry friend. His wife's beloved cat has turned into a nekomata, otherwise known as a cat yokai. 
Now this friendly supernatural kitty is as tall as a human, has two tails, and can even talk. Together, they share a heartwarming, slow life as they cook and eat tasty foods surrounded by nature. Enjoy freshly baked bread, homemade jam, fluffy omelets, and seasonal vegetables with the members of this unusual and charming household. And yeah, again, this this just sounds like another really fun sort of healing slice of life story that I'm sure because the story centers on a character who is getting over the passing of his partner that I, I could see this being like comforting and healing, but also probably pretty sad too. And I don't know, I, I like it when those things kind of combine together into something like very healing, something very nice, but also kind of somber. And also it has a, it has a giant two-tailed cat friend and I'm just kind of into it. Yeah, it sounds like a nice series about just grieving and healing through the companionship of this cat yokai. So yeah, I, I think it sounds really sweet. But then I want to move on to Yen Press and highlight two of their titles. The first one being The Illustrated Guide to Monster Girls by Suzu Akeko. And I should say both of these are coming out this summer. In which, in the world of monsters, where scaring and tormenting humans is a way of life, even monster girls need to pass their classes, graduate, and get a job. Enter Class Z. A bunch of failures more likely to be frightened and bullied themselves. Can this ragtag group of underdogs become successful full-fledged monsters? And yeah, again, this just sounds like another very cute series. I'm very interested in seeing like the different types of monster girls that are that are in this class. Yeah, it sounds like a little bit of interviews of monster girls, a little bit of uh, Nurse Satomi. So yeah, sounds very sweet. The other Yen Press title I wanted to highlight was Game of Familia, Family Senki written by Mikoto Yamaguchi and illustrated by DP, in which, after his father's remarriage, high school student Sasai Hatsushima moves in with his three new stepsisters. And, you know, that's all well and good until the whole family is summoned to another world. Will they be able to band together and survive in the brutal, unforgiving land? So I added this because from the first sentence, you're thinking, oh, yeah, okay, it's one of those. And then it turns out to be an isekai. (laughs) Like, I I added this because literally reading the synopsis, like, just kind of threw me for a loop. And I was just like, okay, sure. You know what? I wasn't expecting that. I genuinely was expecting this to be another thing. And it could still be that first thing that uh, I'm sure maybe it could turn into potentially. But still, I got to give it to the series for, you know, making me think it would be just one thing. But then also, it's an isekai on top of that. So I I just I just really enjoy kind of the novelty of this premise, honestly. Yeah, I agree. I think that sounds, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's just, you know, Isekai entire family. I think that's a, a new take on it, so. Not only is it maybe a stepsister manga, oh. it's also a stepsister Isekai manga. Are you going to become known for having thoughts on stepsister manga now? I really, I really. <laughs> We haven't even released that episode yet, so I don't even know how the listeners are going to react. Oh, God. I don't want to become the podcast where it's like, oh, those guys that like stepsister manga. <laughs> we did. It, it, it was more complicated than we liked it. But. The episode isn't even out yet, and they're already we're already defending ourselves. God. <laughs> yeah. Who knows? Maybe this one could be good, too. You never know. I want to hope. Maybe, you know, it could. Like, the cover for it, at the very least, looks pretty badass. Yeah, it's a good cover. Uh, but the last three titles I want to highlight are um, not from our usual manga publishers, let's say, because uh, DC Comics... <laughs> 
is um is going to be publishing some DC Comics themed manga that um I'm not even sure if we've reported these on the show. We might have. I don't remember off the top of my head. But if we haven't, we're going to talk about them now because, uh, you know, these have all been running for like a bit. But now DC Comics is finally going to be picking them up and releasing them in English. As far as I know, there aren't any like concrete release date for any of these yet. But apparently the plan is for them to start uploading chapters to their app, the DC Universe Infinite app or service, whatever you want to call it. So they're going to be releasing it digitally on that service first, and then after that, they'll be releasing these physically later in the fall. Some of these I'm definitely more interested in than others comparatively, but they all, I think, are pretty interesting in like their own way, especially this first one, entitled Joker, One Operation Joker, written by Satoshi Miyagawa and illustrated by Keisuke Goto. This series features the Joker like you've never seen him before, as a single father? After a faithful encounter with Batman that results in the Dark Knight de-aging into a baby, Joker takes it upon himself to raise the child into the Crusader of Justice. But does the Clown Prince of Crime really understand what it means to be Batman, or more importantly, what it means to raise a baby all by yourself? So I'm just going to get this out of the way. Th this one is like the most outlandish out of the three, and honestly is like kind of the one I really want to check out the most. <laughs> like, the, the premise on its own is so... It's just like so weird and out there, like, again, the Joker, you know, having to literally take care of his arch nemesis after he becomes a baby. And the idea of like that and like the Joker being like a single dad is I feel like you just that, that's like that's like comedy gold right there. Like, I, I feel like it'd be really hard to screw that premise up. Yeah, I think it's a funny idea. Like the Joker is trying to raise Batman into being like a crime fighter. I mean, if he really wants to go that far, I guess he has to fake his death to being shot in an alleyway. Um, so I feel like it's a familiar premise. I feel like there was like an episode where Batman like lost his memory or something, and the Joker tried to convince him or tried to like make him remember like he was a hero again because he's like. Like just obsessed in having the Batman as his foil, hmm. but uh, I can't place which show it was or where I I remember that from. But I think it's a funny premise again, just a Joker trying to actually be a good dad. You know, that's actually similar to Harley Quinn. I mean, Harley Quinn he kind of just ends up like kind of dating a girl who like has uh, already kids. So he's oh not, yeah, like, raising okay. them from them being babies, but he is actually trying to make an effort to be a good father. So like that interpretation is Joker seems like the season three era of the Joker seems like the kind of vibe that this manga is giving me in terms of how the Joker is going to try and act while raising <laughs> baby Batman. I just want to know how, like, what turns Bruce into a baby. That's kind of the thing, like, I want to know the most. It's probably Batmite or something. I don't know. It's, it's DC Comics. There's all <laughs> sorts of things that can happen. I'm sure it's like, I don't know, some kind of gas or something. It's it's yeah. going to be something dumb. <laughs> yeah. Or, I don't know, they find the Black Star Dragon Balls and make a wish. Oh, okay. <laughs> Or they fall into that, like, goo, and then one episode of Futurama that de-ages you. Uh, look, I mean, any any one of those could happen. Like you said, it's DC Comics. But like I said, this one, again, given the way the game, but th this one is, like, the most interesting out of the three, I think. But the other two, I would still be interested in reading. This next one also being a Batman title with Batman Justice Buster by Aichi Shizumu and Tomohiro Shimokuchi in which Gotham City has been under the protection of Batman for only a short amount of time, but since the vigilante's appearance, crime has changed. It's gotten more bold, more destructive. 
As Batman tries to rise to meet these new threats, he develops a computer system, Robin, to help him analyze and subdue the rising criminal tide and hopefully one day put an end to crime in Gotham. So, yeah, this is another interesting, like, again, I, I know this has been done before in, like, you know, Batman comics where it's like, oh, let's have a comic set in, like, a time where Bruce is, like, still kind of, like, learning how to be Batman and still kind of getting used to this new life as Batman. So, you know, I, I feel like that's always kind of an interesting place to explore in terms of, like, Batman lore or storytelling or whatever. But I'm really interested in, I guess, Robin being this, like, computer system. I, I, I really want to see what they do with this idea. Yeah, I think that sounds like a fun, absurd take on Robin, that it's like a computer now. Yeah, that's the one, like, kind of out there thing to me. But hey, still, I want to see what they do with that. And then the, the last DC Comics title I want to highlight is one that, that's a bit more like slice of life-ish, but I think could still be pretty good, is Superman vs. Meshi, written by Satoshi Miyagawa and illustrated by Kai Kitago, in which it's hungry work being Superman. That's why every day for lunch, Superman makes a quick stop over in Japan to try a new chain restaurant. Whether it's a hearty bowl of curry or a conveyor belt sushi, the man of steel loves to indulge in the delectable delicacies the country has to offer. He'll even share a meal with the other members of the Justice League from time to time in hopes of showing them an incredible culinary experience. So yeah, I, I, I think the premise for this speaks for itself. It's, it's a Superman foodie manga. This is actually the one that appeals to me the most. I think it's just a fun premise of Superman, like just trying different dishes every chapter. And the idea of him like trying to <laughs> sell the other members of Justice League in Japanese <laughs> sounds great. So it feels like it's time for Torture Princess meets Food Wars-esque kind of just food manga of just like the focus is just enjoying like new food experiences every chapter. But the, it's the Superman doing it and there's an inherent absurdity to that. And I think that sounds just really delightful. Honestly, if you're, if you're going to do this kind of manga with any character, Superman makes the most sense to me. This is a very Superman thing, I think. I I, th I think he would be the kind of guy who, like, gets excited about, like, trying new food. Like, th this is the thing that he, like, kind of does in his off time. Like, you know, people complain all the time about how, like, you know, Superman is too dark most of the time now. He's not really allowed to, like, be, like, just kind of a fun-loving superhero guy, you know? Like, if you're looking for more stuff like that, then this would be up your alley. Absolutely. Like, it just taps into kind of the innocent good-naturedness of Superman. You know, the Boy Scout kid from Kansas vibes of him. And I like that. I appreciate that. So I'm definitely happy to read a manga that focuses on that aspect of his character. and Just him as like a good, upbeat person enjoying things. Mm -hmm. But overall, obviously all the licenses I just highlighted are ones that I'm looking forward to. But I, I honestly... I think the DC Comics manga are like the titles that I'm kind of looking forward to checking out the most. Cool. Just out of like the sheer novelty of them, like every one of them, I think, brings something kind of interesting to the table. And yeah, I don't know, like I I've always been kind of interested in just reading more like American superhero manga type things in general. So like th this will definitely scratch my itch. Yeah, I'm glad that these titles are finally getting translated and released over here. And yeah, I'm definitely keen to read them as well. Mm -hmm. But Lum, I want to know what licenses you're looking forward to. Yeah, so I'm going to start off with some queer titles. We'll have uh, we'll start off with a BL title, get into some Yuri, and then kind of have it sandwiched in the BL title. And we're going to start with titles from Yen Press. 
Yeah, I've licensed a lot of new series recently, but to start off with, I want to spotlight After We Gazed at the Starry Sky, which is coming from author Bisco Kita. It's a real story about a person who uses a wheelchair Subaru with its planetarium after finishing its brochure design, and he bumps to the photographer involved in the project, and Subaru admired this photographer's work and never thought he would see him himself or that this guy would go so far to carry him down the steps to view the starry sky up close. And, you know, he enjoys this experience and hopes to meet him again. And yeah, it just sounds like a really charming, you know, real story especially when focusing on a lead who is handicapped which is pretty rare and refreshing to see that representation there and yeah the art looks just very sweet and wistful and charming and it just sounds like a really quaint romance that starts between these two characters who like mutually like each other's work and show kindness to each other and i just appreciate that it does sound very cute uh, another series title I'm talking to, and now getting to the Yuri titles that yet licensed uh, three titles I'm really keen about. We got I Don't Need a Happy Ending by Mika Nuji. And this is another collection of girls' love stories from the author of Assorted Entanglements, which you know, I'm excited about. I enjoyed that book as well. And uh, yeah, this is just another mix of a lot of different love stories between women who are, you know, from officer to high schoolers to a mistress and a maid. It's a sweet mix of sweet and spicy in this anthology and it has a new epilogue for a short story i don't need a happy ending yeah i mean i like to sort of tangled so i'm looking forward to reading another collection of stories from Mikanuji. and yeah it sounds like it's going to be a nice eclectic collection uh, exploring different relationships of women in different ages and situations Next, we've got the Witches' Marriage manga. This comes from Studio Headline. This is set in a world where witches have the goal of like opening the store of truth, but gathering power to do that is not an easy feat. And one method that they can choose to go about that is a witch's marriage, which is a contractual bond that generates more power the closer the two people in the marriage grow. And Melissa is one such witch who has chosen that path, but is her heart truly immune to her adorable partner time? as she claims it is it seems like she's a bit of a tsundere in that regard or like she you know is not super open to her feelings but yeah that's just another premise of like oh a fantasy uh yuri manga starring witches i'm definitely always down for that and yeah it sounds like kind of another interesting premise as well so looking forward to that the last Yen title, last Yuri title from Yen is I Don't Know Which Is Love by Oku Tamabushi. This is about a girl who wants to confess her love to her best friend, but she has her heart broken and her hopes crushed. But, you know, she has an upbeat attitude and she vows to, without a doubt, she'll get a girlfriend in college. And, you know, as she sets her resolve, you know, she gets a lot of potential prospects, a lot of potential partners sliding up to her one by one. So it sounds like a great Yuri Love comedy about this girl who, unlucky in love in high school, finds a lot of love surrounding her in in her college years and has just now spoiled for choice because a lot of people are interested in her. I think that sounds like a really fun premise. I really like the cover for this book. The character design looks super charming. The art looks super charming. And honestly, like the idea that this is like a Yuri Hara manga is really fun. So yeah, definitely keen to check this one out. I, I really like the touch on the cover that like old potential love interests are like drawn in her nails. So that's a fun thing. So yeah, looking forward to this one. 
I'm not done spotlighting Yuri titles yet because now we're going on to Seven Seas licenses. And I'm going to touch on my married by female friend. You know, speaking of marriage-related Yuri manga. Uh, this comes from Shio Uzui, who did Donuts Under Crescent Moon, a series I really enjoyed. And this series is going to come out physically and digitally from Seven Seas in December. It's about uh, two characters who made a deal. If they were both still single in five years' time, they would marry each other. And five years later, neither are attached, so they decide it's time for a wedding. And it's full of firsts for these two friends. They have a lot to learn about each other in their new home, but they'll try and make this arrangement work out like two especially close roommates or will actual romantic love bloom between them and this premise of course calls back to i married my best friend to shut my parents up which has a very similar premise and i also really enjoyed that series that was by the author of ntr girlfriend although it was like you know kodama no kodo is like a, a much more wholesome than <laughs> kodama's yoko's ntr manga but like this too it was me like donuts on crescent moon was a very sweet series very sweet relationship between those two central characters and i'm expecting a similar thing that'll happen with the central characters in this so yeah i'm excited for their newest work it sounds like it'll be a really nice and charming one about just an adult yuri romance series i'm always for that and next we're gonna close our sandwich of bl and yuri spotlights with another bl title that seven seas is releasing called anyhow the rabbit is infatuated with the puppy by Nia. and this is going to come out physically and digitally in november and this is about a 25 year old introverted office worker named usagi who you know lives for two things shoujo manga and the spare moments where he can log into his favorite mmo dial alert and there his avatar is a beautiful buddy girl he's able to go on adventures with a charming wolf boy called gagato and they decided to meet up in real life for a fan canon for tail art and you know sparks fly between the two despite neither of them being like quite what the other expected and they fall hard for each other to decide to date and they don't have a lot of romantic experience but this given couple is you know eager to figure it out together and yeah this just sounds like a sweet romance series about two people who meet each other playing this online game meeting and forming a relationship in real life and becoming a couple it of course draws a lot of vibes to MMO Junkie and Yamada Kun level 999. But yeah, I, you know, enjoy those series a lot. So I think that this sounds really great. It's nice to have like a BL twist on it. And I think it just sounds really charming and sweet. So I'm really looking forward to this one. But I also want to spotlight now a another romance title, though this one is not queer, it's straight, but still sounds really nice. It's called Street 65 Days to the Wedding. So speaking of wedding-related manga, this comes to us by Tamaki Wakaki. It'll also come out in November. And yeah, it's about co-workers who are both single and they're introverts and, you know, they don't mind being single because they're introverts. But now their job is looking to staff an office in Siberia and non-married employees are the first to be considered but they don't really want to transfer so they come up with the idea to pretend they're getting married in a year so they can stay in tokyo but they barely know each other so they gotta try and fake their relationship fake their marriage and you know in the process of doing that is going to turn into something real so yeah this also similar to probably a few other series where people pretend to be in a relationship to kind of avoid something 
but you know, it always ends up that they do form genuine feelings for each other and genuinely fall in love with each other. And I'm expecting that to happen here, but again, I enjoy and appreciate just adult romances and especially between working people. And uh, yeah, this sounds like another charming one, similar to something like everyone's getting married. So I am definitely appreciative of that and looking forward to it. Now we're going to spotlight some Viz titles. Viz announced a lot of titles that are coming out in fall this year. And especially, I think what made a lot of fans really happy is that they announced a lot of new shoujo titles from very beloved authors. So I was definitely excited for that, especially myself, including Sakura Saku by Iyosaki Saka. Iyosaki Saka, of course, is the creator of Blue Spring Ride and Love Me, Love Me Not. I really enjoyed Love Me, Love Me Not, so I was excited to see another work of theirs got licensed. And yeah, this is about the protagonist, you know, after falling ill on a train, is helped by a stranger. And then she vows never to ignore strangers in need and to emulate the mysterious boy who saved her. So just like a story about a good Samaritan who is like trying to help people in need, who maybe is trying to find the person who once helped her. So I think that sounds like a very sweet premise. Next, we've got a new manga by Yuki Shiwazu, the creator of Takane and Hana, which is a very funny, fun series. So definitely keen to check out their next work called Common's B-Side, which is an idol manga. It's about an idol who makes a mess in his life and is helped by his number one fan to stay upbeat. So yeah, I think that sounds like a lot of fun. Maybe some similarities to Budokan, except the protagonist role reversal there. So yeah, I think that's, I, you know, I think that Yukishazo has a great sense of humor. So I think I can expect that from this series. And yeah, it looks really good. and A lot of fun. I like the character design a lot of the idol character and his pink hair and just general look. The next title is a really big one. It's a classic shoujo that I'm very happy is finally getting licensed. It's Ayazawa's Neighborhood Story. And yeah, this is a fashion manga about a character who wants to take the world of fashion by storm but stumbles into love instead. And it's a great coming of age uh, series. It's sort of a prequel to, well, it came before Paradise because Paradise this can be described as somewhat of a sequel to Neighborhood Story because there are some returning characters uh, from Neighborhood Story. So I'm glad that Neighborhood story is like finally been licensed and finally like we can read it officially and just in general to have something new from Ayazawa to read since it's been a long time since you know Paradise Kiss and Nana have been published and there haven't been a lot of other works of hers that have been brought over so glad to have one of her classics coming finally and very excited to finally get to read it. Hashtag DRCL Midnight Children by Shinichi Sakamoto, who their manga Innocent got recently licensed by Dark Horse to big fanfare. And I guess Viz also is jumping on the Sakamoto train and has licensed another one of their manga. Uh, and so this one, of course, also has very stunning cover art. It looks really great. And yes, this indeed ran in Grand Jump. I think Maxi was indeed very excited for this one. And yeah, it's their current work. It was their work they did after Innocent. It's based on the Dracula Mistos. So yeah, I think this is another one to look forward to. So yeah, you know, another work by a really great artist. Uh, yeah, and a grand jump title. So yeah, really great pickup from this there. Uh, so it's great to have like both DRCL, Midnight Children, and Innocent come out at the same time. You know, both of Shinichi Sakamoto's like bigger works at the same time. Very excited for that. That'll be cool to be able to read both of those at once. But yeah, so those are some great highlights. 
that I want to spotlight from these publishers with some titles I'm looking forward to. I think between more of our lists, you know, there were a lot of great titles that uh, run the gamut of different genres and different interesting premises to look forward to. It was a really good round to start off the year of licensing announcements from all the different publishers. A lot of eclectic variety and a lot to go into this year and into early next year with stuff to look forward to reading. So, oh yeah, very, very excited. So that wraps up our licensing news. So now we're going to head into a bit of industry news. And unfortunately, the industry piece we have to talk about isn't a happy one because Crunchyroll has laid off 85 employees from across their different divisions globally. They claim it was done to reduce redundancy between people in similar roles who were carried over by Funimation. Uh, It's still a really terrible reason to lay off people. And yeah, it really sucks. I mean, apparently employees that were laid off will continue to receive benefits through their severance period. But yeah, I guess they couldn't find a place for employees that were already at Crunchyroll before the Funimation merger. But it still really sucks to hear people have lost their jobs. And yeah, it's not a fun thing. And it always happens when you get big mergers like this. But alas, I just hope the best for the people who are laid off and that they can find new work. Speaking of leaving jobs, it kind of bridges us into an industry slash interest piece because this is a bit of news that made some waves in that Kumar Siva Subramanian, the translator of, you know, veteran translator has been working in the industry for like two decades now. And he was doing the translation for Cypher Academy. He announced publicly on Twitter that he is resigned from working on Cypher Academy. He quit. He won't be working in it past the 13th chapter. He just felt the series was like impossible to translate. And it is an incredibly difficult series to translate with like its wordplay, its liptogram challenges. Uh, they cited a Screen Rant article that highlighted the impossibility of translating the liptogram challenge in chapter 10. There's just so much like Japanese wordplay in the series that it's so hard to like think of a way to translate that into English. So I can totally sympathize with Kumar's feelings on that like it feels like an incredibly hard series to translate on a weekly schedule and especially with the quick turnarounds that he's expected to deliver these chapters he had previously quit mission yosakura family and gave the reason that he would receive the series like late on saturdays and it would interfere with like his family time on weekends and the turnaround on that was just too quick and i'm sure cypher academy was even harder than yosakura family so like yeah i could totally see and sympathize with his frustrations he did amazing work on the chapters he translated though just a fantastic job with what he was able to adapt into english And, you know, the workarounds to try and communicate the intent, even if he could not completely recreate the puzzles, was appreciated as well. So, you know, Cypher Academy, it continues to be an enjoyable series to read. I'm going to miss Kumar behind the wheel of the translation. But apparently, you know, there's another translator already in place. So the serialization, the simulpub will continue. Don't know who yet, but I'm sure we'll find out soon. Honestly, I don't really envy anyone who has to translate a series like Cypher Academy, like, week to week. Like, that was kind of a, you know, something I saw go around online a lot, was that, you know, Cypher Academy itself isn't, like, it's not that it's, like, totally untranslatable, it's untranslatable within the time they're given to do it, is the thing. Yeah, that's the problem, really. It's just the schedules 
that translators are expected to turn around these series. It's just does not work for series like Cypher Academy, where you need to really spend a lot more time, put a lot more thought into how you can rework something as complicated as it into English. And it's possible, definitely, because, I mean, there's other Nizuizen works that have been translated before that have also had some complicated wordplay that have been done. But it, it does require time, and it's just not something that the weekly schedule really allows. How is that time for? Not really. So I totally sympathize with Kumar wanting to let go of the series. That was probably too much of a time investment for the rate he was getting paid to do it. Of course, like, you know, to work on a series like this, I think that you have the right absolutely to demand the most pay you can get out of it because the amount of time investment you need to put into the series to translate it, I think, has to be several leagues greater than almost every other series running and jump. Yeah, like, it would be one thing if, like, if you were given, like, a few months to translate, like, a volume of this, that'd be one thing, but, like, a single chapter with, you know, something as text-heavy, first off, as Cypher Academy, that requires so much more work than I think, like, probably most of the other series in the Jump lineup right now, like, you need more time to work on something like this, and I agree, like, for something like this in particular, whoever has to work on this deserves a higher pay, no question. Absolutely. So I'm curious to see who will pick up the reins of Cypher Academy and how the translation will fare from here on out. It's, again, definitely not enviable whoever has to take up the job. But I wish them the best at it. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm really enjoying the series. So I'm glad to keep reading it. But, like, I, I hope that, you know, it just does not overwork the translator and the team involved to try and make it work to release it on a weekly schedule. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if, like, the eventual volume releases for this were just, like, mostly reworked. Because, like, like th- yeah. this is this is something that's going to need, like, another pass on the translation when they have more time. I definitely think so. I definitely think that they'll invest a lot of time to refine it even more. What they attempted in the serialization in the simulpub, but also what they couldn't get to in the simulpub. So I would expect some major revisions when the series goes to print or gets to volume releases. So that was kind of a big news topic that I think also kind of just touched on, you know, is the simulpub model sustainable for localization teams and stuff? And that's opening up a good door to a larger conversation that hopefully we can have later down the line. But to continue on with the uh, rest of our news, we have a lot of uh, eclectic news to talk about. But uh, one piece of news that I'm excited about is that Hideko Mizuno's Fire manga that is about like a American rock star is like finally getting reprinted after 23 years. I was made aware of this title from a great panel spotlighting just Jose manga over the years that I went to at Otakon. And this one just sounded so interesting that it was a series set in the 60s just about a again American singer who is like you know missing for criminal sent to prison and then is captivated by the music of a guy he meets in the prison and then after that guy's dead he leaves and takes his guitar with him and makes a band and it becomes a popular band and it just sounds like a really wild manga it's also like historically a significant manga that you know really helped establish shoujo as like a genre as a manga category 
story in the 60s. And yeah, it's like definitely like very politically charged. It was inspired by anti-Vietnam war movies and civil rights protests. Aaron, the protagonist, is based on Scott Walker, the lead singer of the Walker Brothers. So there's a lot of historical context and significance to this title. It's like a kind of important piece of like manga history. And so it's really cool to have a new version of this reprinted in Japan after so long. And, you know, it's really cool that at the age of 83, Hideko Mizuno even drew new covers for this release. So good on her. Like, wow, at that age, just drawing new covers for the book and they look stunning. And I'm hoping that with this new release, that maybe that opens the door for a publisher over here to license and localize it. Because again, it's a very interesting, historically significant manga, especially to the development of shoujo manga and jose manga. So I would really be excited keen to get a chance to read it and i'm sure so many people would as well so one to keep an eye out for maybe in the future but alas it's cool to see like a classic manga especially such a significant classic manga get a re-release in japan for a bit of con news, uh, I wanted to spotlight that Oda Contra Industry is like making uh, their announcements for some guests this year, and they're going to have a cool manga artist guest this year. They're going to host BL manga artist Kyoko Aiba, who is known for some works that have been released through DMP called like Kamisama Darling, Love of Ocean Theory, uh, Derail, and Invisible Me. And yeah, so I am definitely excited to hear that Otakani is going to have a manga artist guest this year. I'm definitely keen to check out her work and maybe uh, get a chance to like attend her panel and events. And if they have interview ops, like I'd love to talk with her about her work. So yeah, it's just cool to see Otakon is attracting some like uh, manga creators as guests this year. And I wonder if there's more to come, but yeah, it's really nice, especially to have like a BL manga artist be helps us to guest. Now we'll get into some anime news and there's some bigger news. Well it's mostly let's we're gonna start off with like some film box office related news. So first to mention is that the first Slam Dunk is doing really well in theaters still in Japan and it currently has reached as high as the number 12 all-time anime film in Japan and uh, just continues to climb its box office gross. I wouldn't be surprised if it uh, continues to earn and earn and make its way into the top 10 at the very least all-time anime films in Japan. It's surpassed Evangelion 3.0 plus 1.0 for that honor. It's just continuing to climb, continuing to do well in theaters. And it just makes me all the more curious and wanting to have some news about whether we'll get the chance to watch it here in the U.S. Please, someone license it. I would like to check it out. Please, I still don't know a single thing about this movie. So... I have found out what the idea of this movie is. Okay. It is basically kind of like a remake of Slam Dunk, but it doesn't center Hanamichi as the protagonist. Interesting. Okay. Um. So is there like a is is there like a new protagonist or is no, he just it's not? A, it's like Slam Dunk, but the protagonist is now Ryota. Hmm. Okay. Interesting. Hmm. I'm not sure how I feel about that. Yeah, it's an interesting change. It's an interesting angle to take it. But uh, yeah, I'm curious to check it out and see like how changing who the lead, the protagonist of Slam Dunk is, like affects like how experienced the story. You know, the film apparently goes as far as like them challenging Sano. So it's like, you know, it encompasses a lot. So I am definitely keen to check it out because it sounds interesting. Just the animation, it looks fantastic. Just on that alone, I've been 
really excited to watch it. So yeah, that's interesting. Now, now I just want to watch this more because, like, because we were wondering, like, oh, is this just going to be like a remake of the original series, or are they just going to like adapt whatever they didn't adapt in the anime? But to, to see that they're like seemingly going like in a completely original route, like that makes me even more interested in watching this. Honestly, yeah, it's definitely interesting. And man, I, I just I hope we get an announcement that someone picks it up because I really want to check it out. I hope so too. I really need to see this film. But some things that we can check out that I'm excited about, there's some cool events coming up, including a tour from Radwimps, the band who is behind some of the most beloved music in Makoto Shinkai's films, Your Name and Veteran With You, and of course the upcoming Suzume, which their tour here in the US is going to be timed around the American release of. So yeah, I mean, they're going to be playing at a few different locations. They're going to be at San Jose, the San Jose Civic on April 16th, in LA at the YouTube Theater on April 8th. 18th, Mexico City at the Pavilion OS on April 22nd, Chicago at the Vic on April 24th, Toronto at Queen Elizabeth Theatre on April 26th, and finally at NYC at the Palladium Times Square on April 29th. Yeah, it's a really cool opportunity to hear Radwins perform live. But I would advise, you know, this news was announced at the beginning of February. So at the time you're listening, this is beginning of March. Do not delay on getting your tickets because I know it's already sold out in some locations. LA is completely sold out. I'm going to see it in Chicago. I think there might still be some uh, seats available, but, uh, you know, it's going to be very limited at this point. So if you haven't gotten your tickets yet, you know, definitely jump on it because they will not stay available in April if they are still available even now so definitely check it out i mean i'm excited i did get my tickets at the vic theater or rather it's going to be at the riviera theater that they actually rescheduled it to a new venue but it's still at the same day and time but i have my tickets for it and uh, i'm excited to hear them perform so look forward to it and yeah i know v lord also is seeing it in la at the youtube theater so yeah we might get together and report on our respective experiences after checking it out I think it'll be a fun time. I enjoy the music a lot, hearing it in the films, so I appreciate a chance to experience them in person. And yeah, it's also nice that they're able to do this tour because they wanted to do a world tour in 2020, but obviously that was cancelled due to the pandemic. So it's great that they can now finally actually play in the, the US after having to delay that for three years. Another thing I'm looking forward to experience is the Sirenaway stage play. G-Kids announced that they have licensed two different film performances of the Spirit Away live on stage stage play. They are going to screen them in North America this spring. It is very exciting. I've enjoyed seeing like the Sailor Moon stage play, the adaptation of the Stars Arc when that screened in theaters a few years ago. So I'm keen to like check this out, the stage play of uh, Spirit Away through a theatrical event. And yeah, it's going to be cool. And one of them, Kana Hashimoto, starred as Chihiro. And another one, Mone Kamishiraishi, starred as Chihiro. And they're like in alternating performances, like uh, a lot of different characters. Like Romy Park was. Uh, Zenaba in one of these so that's super interesting so yeah they have some big act talent behind it that uh it's like super exciting so very very cool I can't wait for the screening to come out and uh since they're coming in spring I, I have to imagine we'll get dates for this soon but yeah it's cool that we'll get to experience this 
Next, to move on to some other anime film news, uh, we're getting a new film from Ritaro. His first directed work in 14 years. It's going to premiere at the first Nagata International Animation Film Festival on March 20th. The film is called Manga Cinema. It's dedicated to Sado Yamamaka Nezumikozo Jirokichi. And it's a 25-minute silent animation that's basically the behind-the-scenes story of Nezu Mikozo Jirokichi, which was a film by Sado Yamamaka, who was a film director who died tragically young at the age of 28 in 1938, and about his efforts to produce the film. And, you know, Yamanaka is considered a figure who spurred the Japan's film industry's transition from silent films to Takis. So it's cool that Ritari is, like, making a film that's kind of, like, exploring, like, kind of a, the legacy of this really influential an important figure in the development of Japanese cinema. I'm definitely keen to check this out. Hopefully, you know, it gets licensed in some form. But of course, uh, yeah, Renaro, a very esteemed talent in the animation industry who's touched a lot of different projects as either director or animator or character designer. So, of course, like it's a big deal to have him return to direct a new work for the first time in like 14 years. So, very, very exciting. Also exciting coming out soon in March is the Gridman Universe film. We got a premiere date for that as March 24th. And the trailer looks super cool to see all the characters from Gridman and Dinazenon come together. I'm very excited for this. I'm sure that this will get licensed. I don't know if we'll get a theatrical release here, but I would like, I would hope so. I like this franchise a lot, so I'm excited for this crossover team up between the characters for the two seasons. But uh, there's some other movie news that you want to take, Colton? Yes. So we've talked about here and there about Toei's Knights of the Zodiac live action film that's going to be coming out this year. So far, I mean, obviously, there's a new trailer for it. Looks really, really cool. And we also know that it's going to be coming out in Japan on April 28th, and it'll be called Saint Seiya the Beginning over in Japan. And that's about all we know so far. We know it's coming out outside of Japan and other countries sometime this year. But as far as I know, we don't have any other dates yet. We don't know when it's coming out outside of Japan, but it's coming out sometime this year. I really hope it gets a theatrical release over in the U.S. because if it does, I'm going to go see it. Yeah, I mean, I, they plan to make this a global release, so I would hope that we get a theatrical release here in the U.S. I'm curious about it. You know, I went to the San Diego Comic-Con panel hyping it up. I think that the writers, the actors behind it are all very enthusiastic and appreciative of the sewers material and trying to make a good, of course, different version of it. But yeah, I mean, watching the trailer, it's... Sort of Saint Seiya, it's not quite Saint Seiya in terms of feel, but there are things to look forward to that look cool. I think McKenna will do a good job as Seiya as the lead. And I also really liked Madison from the panel, so I'm looking forward to her Sienna. And yeah, so I think that it should be a fun time, even if it's not the most faithful adaptation of Saint Seiya. I mean, honestly, in general, it ju- it just looks like it could be pretty fun. I really hope it's not just, like, dumped on the Netflix. I really actually do want to see this in the theater. Speaking of Netflix, though, just a bit of an update on the Black Clover film, Sword of the Wizard King. Originally, it was supposed to be out on March 31st, but unfortunately, due to the spread of COVID affecting the film's production, 
the release date of that film has been moved to June 16th. So it's still coming out this year, but obviously with COVID spreading around all over Japan and especially all over like the anime industry. We talked about this on our last news episode about how COVID unfortunately is really like affecting and delaying a lot of different anime right now. And unfortunately, it seems to have reached its way to the production of this newest Black Clover film. But it looks like it's still coming out soon. Um, We're just gonna have to wait a little longer for it. And hey, you know what? I'm totally fine with that. If they need a bit more time to recover and you know work on the film afterwards personally i'm totally fine with that yeah i mean i think the health of the artist of course is most important so i think that a delay is more than reasonable and you know it's honestly not even a big delay so not really not yeah. really a big deal at all i still am just mostly disappointed that we're not gonna get to experience it in a theater here it's going straight to netflix but you know i'm still looking forward to watching it mm-hmm something else that I'm looking forward to watching on Netflix that I was I didn't expect this. Uh, so we should say that, and I, I think we reported on this. I, I'd be surprised if we didn't, but in case we didn't, Pluto was announced all the way back in 2017, I believe, if I'm remembering that correctly, to be getting an anime adaptation. And then we really didn't get a whole lot of news after that until recently. As it turns out, the Pluto anime series, you know, an adaptation of the Pluto manga from Naoki Urasawa, is going to be coming to Netflix this year. And uh, there's a pretty long preview for it, like a three-minute preview for it. And you know what? After watching it, I can kind of understand why it took so long for any news to come out. Because honestly, uh, it looks amazing, and I can't wait to watch it. (laughs) No, it looks incredibly well-produced. It looks really fantastic. They put a lot of labor love into it so yeah i think it's going to turn out to be a fantastic adaptation i'm very much excited for it oh man honestly like you know i've mentioned it before pluto is like one of the few urasawa manga that i've read like in full i think that was like his first series i read and man i gotta do a reread of it at some point because like i remember reading it back in high school and just loving it so much and honestly i never thought we would get like an anime for it so i'm i'm really really excited and hey you know what i don't want to get too ahead of myself But I would really like it if I would really like for this to do well enough for them to maybe look into animating more Urasawa stuff. I think that would be really, really cool. His series are very much ripe for more animation. So it really is surprising that a lot of his bigger series haven't been animated. So it's great that we're getting this Pluto adaptation. I hope it does lead the way for more. God, like, could you imagine if Netflix announced, like, an anime adaptation of 20th Century Boys? Yeah, that would be really fantastic. It would be, uh, hopefully it would be a longer production and they wouldn't have them rush through it. But I think that would be just fantastic. I would love to see it animated. I'd love to hear it animated, you know, just to hear the music and how that would turn out. I think that would be fantastic. I feel like if any company would have enough money just to even cover, like, music licensing alone, I feel like it would be Netflix. Yeah, well, I don't know. They didn't get Fly Me to the Moon for (laughs) Evangelion. I guess that's true. But uh, hopefully they would get 20th Century Boy for 20th Century Boys. But, uh, you know, we'd see what would happen in that potential what-if scenario, I suppose. Mm Mm-hmm, for sure. But until that's hopefully one day announced, uh, I will gladly just take my Pluto anime because, again, if you haven't watched a preview for it, go do it. Because it genuinely looks so much better than I even thought it could look. Absolutely. Now we're going to move on to some other upcoming anime news that we can look forward to. By the time you're listening to this, it'll probably have already aired, but the first part of Attack on Titan's final season is coming out on March 3rd with a one-hour special. 
And then, like, the second half of the season is going to air as another special later in the year. So, basically, this is, like, what the third season is. It's, like, two one-hour specials. So, it makes sense. There's, like, only two volumes of the manga left. So, it makes sense that they were going to adapt it, like, one volume at a time. Like, one volume is one special. One volume is another special. So, yeah, that makes sense to me. And, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing how it ends. I mean... I know how it ends, but I'm looking forward to seeing the animated adaptation of the ending because I think they'll put out all the thoughts for it to make it like truly wild. So, yeah. And then, you know, I'm especially curious and looking forward to the new Pokemon anime, the first season of Pokemon that will not star Ash as the protagonist. We got some new details. We got a new date for it, a premiere date, April 14th. And yeah, we got some more details about like Liko, the protagonist who has like this mysterious pendant. And we also got a new character announced called Freed, who is like a Pokemon professor who's like joins Liko or Roy on their journey and their battles. And wouldn't you know it, his Pokemon partner is Pikachu, but not just any Pikachu, Captain Pikachu. And he has like this little sailor captain hat (laughs) on him. Crossing his his arms, looking all determined and proud. And yeah, I wasn't expecting, you know, a Pokemon anime to happen without Pikachu. Pikachu is just too iconic of a character. But it's a new Pikachu, and I think its personality will be different from the Pikachu we've come to know and love. But yeah, Pikachu will still have a presence in the show and as an icon for the brand. And so yeah, I'm interested. I want to know why he's a captain. What is Captain <laughs> Pikachu's story? Where did he get that hat? There's got to be a story behind it. So already, I I am all on board. I am intrigued about Captain Pikachu. Whatever he's a captain of, I want to ride along with him. Because I I, I trust him. I trust his determination. It's electrifying. So yeah, very excited for this new Pokemon anime. Though it's going to be so, so weird and bittersweet to see Ash off. Just not the star of the show anymore. But the last couple episodes of of the Aim to Be Pokemon Master season have been very sweet. I'm very much looking forward to the final episode of that. And, you know, the, the transition between the two series. And uh, Heavenly Delusion, me and that, we reported that the anime of that was going to come out in April. And now we got some more details that this is going to be another Disney Plus license, like exclusively a Disney Plus worldwide. Though in our, our case, it'll probably be on Hulu in the US. But yeah, hopefully we don't get it delayed as long as summertime rendering. But, you know, I like what I've read of Heavenly Delusion, the manga, so I'm looking forward to checking out the anime a lot. Another anime I'm looking forward to checking out is Apothecary Diaries. It has gotten an anime announced with Aoyuki's playing the main character Mao Mao. The series is going to premiere later this year. This is another really super popular shoujo title. There was a lot of enthusiasm for this. I have the novels and the manga of it that I've been meaning to check out, so I'm definitely keen to because it looks fantastic, especially from the trailer. And yeah, it's going to be directed by Norihiro Nakanuma, who directed the first season of Ancient Magus' Bride. Uh, it's going to be produced and made at Toe and OLM. It's also going to have character designs from Yukiko Nakatani, who designed on two seasons of Recore, Go Princess Pika and Tropical Rouge Recore. I love the designs in Tropical Rouge especially, so great character designer. Art director is Hitsumi Takao from Pokemon Secrets of the Jungle. That's filmed like great art design, so great hands there. Uh, Misato Aida is the color key artist, and Yuna Gai, who worked on Koei Can't Communicate, is the CGI director. And Daskia Mai is in charge of editing. 
And Satoru Kosuke, Kevin Penkin, and Darisa Okahama are all composing music for the anime. Well, I love Kevin Penkin's score on Media Abyss in particular, so definitely think that this show is going to have a great score to it. So yeah, looks like it has some great talent and production staff behind it, so this looks to be a really fantastic adaptation of the series, and uh, I'm really excited for it later this year. Now, moving uh, beyond anime, but a, a little bit into live action now, I wanted to spotlight that Wave Listen to Me is getting a live action series. It had an anime a few years earlier, but now it's getting a live action version. And I would love to watch this too. I love Wave Listen to Me. I'm really curious how the live action version will differ from the anime because the anime kind of went in its own direction from the manga in terms of creating its own ending for itself in a way that it kind of makes making a second season of the anime kind of difficult. I wonder if the live action version will focus on different parts of the story. I am very curious about it, but I, you know, I love Wave Listen to Me. I'm glad that it's continuing to get some new multimedia projects for it. I just hope that uh, I'll get a chance somehow to watch the live action series because I really enjoy it. I'm really curious to see how it'll turn out. Now we have some comments on new ways you can catch certain anime on streaming and uh, this is a big one if called it if you want to take this one away. Uh, this definitely opened uh, up a new case you could say. Yes, another case that definitely needs to be closed because uh, earlier in the month, TMS just kind of decided to stealth drop 10 new episodes of English dubbed Case Closed, otherwise known as Detective Conan. So on Tubi, of all places, currently at the time of this recording, you can watch 20 episodes of Detective Conan dubbed into English. These episodes range from episode 965 to 984. So definitely an interesting bunch of episodes that TMS decided to have dubbed. Originally, it looked like because, you know, on the week of February 8th, that Wednesday, they released 10 episodes. And then the next Wednesday, they released another 10. And so far, they haven't released any more. So I'm not entirely sure at this point how much of the show they have dubbed at this point. Honestly, I'm not really sure what TMS is doing with the series because obviously they had been dubbing a lot of the movies and they've been kind of quiet on that front for a while and people have been kind of wondering, you know, what's going on with the series. And then they just kind of suddenly dropped 20 episodes of the show dubbed on Tubi. And I really hate to be the Debbie Downer, but I kind of feel like they just kind of had these ready and then they just kind of dumped them. And I'm I'm not entirely confident that we're going to get much more than this. I mean, you never know. 10 more episodes could have popped up by the time you're listening to this. I don't know. We'll see. But I don't know. I'm, I'm just I'm just not really sure what to make of this. Yeah, I think that their release strategy was odd that they didn't like hype this up, that they didn't say, hey, we're doing more Conan. Here's when you can watch them, you know, drum up some like buzz, like just dropping them and saying, hey, we got new dub episodes. And it's not like really a super detailed tweet about it even. So it's kind of strange where it's like, you know, you could do a better job of like promoting your show and drawing people's attention to it so people know that this is happening and can get excited for it and know where to watch it and all that stuff so i think that uh they kind of dropped the ball on that yeah i'm really happy to have a uh, new dub conan episodes though and i think it makes sense they kind of started at the beginning of 2020 so i would expect probably they'll dub like all the episodes that came out in that year at the very least so i, I wouldn't be surprised if uh got at least one more batch of episodes 
But I hope that these do well, definitely. I think the best thing that us as fans can do can would be just to watch the episodes on Tubi and just get the numbers so that TMS knows that, yeah, there's value to this. And I have to imagine that, you know, with these episodes dubbed, there's going to be some plan to release this for purchase on digital platforms. Uh, or Maybe. Hopefully home video. Hopefully. I mean, they should invest in that if they went through the effort of dubbing these episodes. So, Or maybe they have like this deal with Tubi uh, that Tubi can is paying for it but i would i don't know about that so much but either way like it's cool to have new dose episodes conan there's some great episodes so i appreciated where they started from and yeah i'm just hoping that they're able to continue to do more you know it's a tall order to ask them to dub all of conan but you know to dub the most recent stuff makes sense i would be super curious to see you know them dub up to like episode a thousand the remake of moonlight sonata and just compare the new dub version to the old dub version of the original episode that would be interesting to me but uh yeah i'm just curious to see how far they'll be able to go with this and you know, just crossing my fingers that it's a gamble that, that turns out well for us and for them. Yeah, hopefully we'll get more. Um, I'm just going to say what um Doc did on our recent episode of One Podcast Prevails. Um, just, just have these play in the background. Just keep playing them. Like, we're in a weird area with streaming nowadays where it's like, if you don't watch this shit immediately, they're just not going to bother. Like, you gotta, you gotta watch this shit as soon as it's up, which, you know, honestly, I hate, but... If that's what they want us to do, if that's what gets us more Detective Conan, then do it if you can. Just leave them running on loop in the background if you can. The numbers add up. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's the best that uh, we can do. But yeah, just keep watching it, supporting it, and hopefully we'll continue to get more dub Conan, more releases of Conan. So this is a very cool little treat that came up as a good surprise. Uh, speaking of anime streaming news, though, uh, Viz did a pretty cool thing recently where on their YouTube channel, you can just watch the entirety of some of their shows, such shows as uh, Death Note, Inuyasha, Hunter Hunter, the 2011 version, obviously, seasons one and two of Mr. Osamatsu, all 220 episodes of the original Naruto, and from what I could tell, basically the entire Sailor Moon anime. Yep. Yeah, you could just watch every episode of all these shows for free on YouTube. Yeah, they're subbed only, but still, it's pretty cool to just have them all available free on YouTube, which is very accessible. Pretty nice to just have them all available there. So you don't need to necessarily log into your Crunchyroll or even have Crunchyroll premium account to watch these. You can just watch them all for free on YouTube now. That's pretty neat. It's actually especially great for Sailor Moon because Sailor Moon is like behind Hulu for so many years. So having all the Sailor Moon on YouTube makes it even more accessible than before. You don't need to pay for Hulu to stream Sailor Moon now. So I think for Sailor Moon especially, uh, this is a really great thing for fans. I would have loved to have this as a kid. I don't mean to be the old person, but back in my day, uh, seriously, like, I I know it's kind of a meme at this point, but like, man, I legitimately remember watching anime in three parts on YouTube back in the day. And like, because my internet was so fucking slow at the time, like having to like wait for every video to buffer and completely load so that way I could watch it without any interruptions. Like, younger anime fans really have it great. Like, I would have killed to have all of Death Note just like available for free, like on somewhere on YouTube and not just like 
on like a shitty pirate site or whatever. Like, man, I'm genuinely jealous. I would have loved to have this, but 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 you know what? I'm I'm glad that younger anime fans have access to this kind of thing now. I'm I'm glad that you know kids can now just watch every episode of Naruto or at least the original Naruto series just on YouTube now for free. And like again, it doesn't have to be cut up in parts. They don't have to like rejigger the video so that way like you know it, it doesn't get like copyright striked or whatever. Like you can just watch the show unedited, unaltered for free. Like it's great. Yeah, I think it's great just to have all this stuff available on YouTube, just to like really freely watch it. And uh, yeah, again, especially with some of these series that previously, you know, were not even on Crunchyroll, where you can watch Crunchyroll, it's free with ads. Like some of this stuff was only available on paid streaming services like Hulu or Netflix. So to have it just all on YouTube, where you can just watch it for free, it makes it like the most accessible Sony shows have ever been. So that's pretty cool. So we kind of have to dove into some not so good news that it's kind of hard to know where to place, but it's important to talk about, I think. The actor for one of the dubs of Woodland Saga, the Torfin actor for one of the dubs of Woodland Saga, Mike Haimoto, uh, was recently accused of domestic abuse and sexual assault by Avery Smithart, who is formerly his girlfriend uh, and is a fellow actress. She was recently in Made in Abyss, Donna Deep Solace Prishka. Smithart recently like published like a 50-page document that details her relationship with Haimoto and all the experiences of abuse and lies and manipulation that he inflicted and like created a Google Drive that documented all of these different examples and interactions. And yeah, it's really harrowing and unfortunate, disgusting thing to hear just uh, how abusive and manipulative like Haimoto was towards Smithheart. Glad she's out of that relationship and is doing better now. And I'm definitely supporting her and like trying to kind of seek justice and punishment for Haimoto's behavior. It's always an unfortunate thing to hear that someone in the anime industry, in the dubbing industry, is a creep and an abuser. But it's also important to kind of just put the information out there so you know and you know not to support their work. So yeah, I would imagine that Sentai will recast, or I guess he was Torfin in the Crunchyroll dub. So I hope that they will probably recast him in that dub for season two. And then he'll probably not continue to work as an assistant director on dubbing for Sentai. And yeah, it's just like an unfortunate thing. And we can link to like the Google Drive link to all the information and stuff because there's a lot to go through. I went through it and uh, there's a lot of wild stuff, really creepy stuff that uh, Haimoto did to Smithheart. So, yeah, it's pretty shocking, but pretty important to report. To get back into some more fun news and more in the territory of things to recommend you check out, Mamoru Oshii recently launched a five-hour video course on anime and film directing on the service Naro. It's a five-hour plus course that consists of 20 videos, just details Oshii's creative formulas, development methods, and tales from his life as a director in the pop culture industry. And not only is this course pretty accessible at just $75, it's also available with English subs. So 
yeah, I think it's really cool to just kind of learn from a master director like Oshi, just like his philosophy as a director, as a creator, learn how to kind of navigate the film world and the animation world with a director's mindset and with like kind of the tools and lessons that he has accumulated from his career. So I am definitely keen to purchase this course and listen to his thoughts myself, especially since it looks like there's a limited time discount too where it's even more affordable at just $61. So yeah, it's something that I'm really excited to dig into deeper myself when I get the time. But yeah, it's just cool to kind of get like a master class in the world of anime directing from one of the master anime directors. And then the last thing I want to kind of highlight as a final piece of news slash a shout out is that PA Works has launched a new crowdfunding campaign for their hobbyist project anime, Numakatsu. And this campaign is designed to produce a second volume of their manga. And if they get enough funds, they may also do a third manga and a anime adaption of it. And yeah, the campaign will run from March 1st to April 16th. This is basically like a project, a series that's about like fans who are interacting with chosen specialists and hobbyist fields doing all sorts of like DIY activities. It was created by a monk creator, Max Mellon, who made a first volume back in November, who depicted like the characters in school clubs at a fictional like high school called like Shumin no Numa High School or like Hobby Swarm High School. So yeah, if you want to support this release, support their efforts to like get more of the series published and possibly like even drum up enough support to see it adapted into a full-fledged anime, definitely take a look out for the crowdfunding campaign for this, which again will be up by March and we should be able to have like a, a link to share with you when the time this episode goes out. Just a cool small project that could use some attention and support. But uh, I think that about covers it for news. I think that I want to recommend a few things related to Leiji Matsumoto that I encourage people to dig into and read and watch just to get more of a background on him as a director and his influence and legacy. First, I just want to highlight an ANN article that is just a collection of different tributes and reflections on Matsumoto from creators in the anime and manga industry, including thoughts from Yasuro Naida and Masako Nozawa, Zach Davison, just a lot of people whose work is entwined and deeply like inspired and influenced by Matsumoto, just their thoughts and reflections on what their work means to them. I just want to link that out and then also encourage you to check out Mike Tool's piece profiling the work of Lady Matsumoto that ANN recently re-ran. I think that's a great primer and exploration of Matsumoto's career and several of his key works and why they're influential and impactful. And I really appreciated that to get like a full scope of Matsumoto's career and legacy. And I also would like to recommend Kaiser Beam's video. I think that I may have done this as a community shout out a few months ago, but it's been a while, but I think it's still relevant. Kaiser Beams did a video on Captain Hurl Arcadia of My Ute, which really explored like Matsumoto's philosophy uh, in terms of like the teams he likes towards, particularly his themes of romanticism and how he explores that through the character of Captain Harlock and particularly in this film. So I think that's another video I would like to recommend to folks to just get a sense of Matsumoto's work and his philosophy uh, as a creator and what makes it so impactful. 
So I would like to leave you with at least just those three recommendations to kind of check out to kind of learn more about the work of Leiji Matsumoto and just why his work left such an impact on people and what made it so resonant for so many, for many, many generations of folks. But with that, uh, unfortunately, there would be even more I could recommend, but we'll leave it at that. Yes, that is definitely going to be about it for this episode. Things are kind of up in the air still as far as what's coming up next. Like we've mentioned, we've between the both of us, we still have a lot of discussions that we really need to get to work on when we find the time and uh, finally release soon. Uh, there's definitely one that I have been putting off for a while. You know, you, you'll, you'll hopefully see what that is in a few weeks. But hopefully that'll be out soon in particular. And yeah, I mean, even if we're unfortunately late on some things, you guys still have a lot to look forward to. We have a lot of great discussions coming up, not just soonish, but, you know, just over the next year in general. But until then, once again, thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. And until the next episode, we're going to let you guys know where you could find us, starting with my good friend Lum. Where can the good people find you? You can find me at Lum Ramayasha on Twitter and wherever I am under that username, be it Animation Revelation, Letterboxd, or Annie List. Wherever there's Lum Ramayasha, you'll find me under that name. You can also read my reviews on mangamavericks.com. We got a lot of books coming in, a lot of reviews planning to go out. So look forward to more on there, as well as more interviews and other related podcasts that I do independently, including Alum Squad, the Eurasiatsar focused podcast that I do with my good friend Andre Yoshimura. We discuss the wonderful Waki world of Rukun Hakushi's classic sci fi rom com manga, Eurasiatsara. We are having a lot of fun going through the manga, recently completed by this media after a good many years of publication, as well as the new anime series and the classic anime series soon to come out by Discotech in April. So there's a lot to talk about Eurasia Outsider, a lot we've been uh, recording and planning to release and get out. So it's really been a great time to be a Rukahakashi fan of Eurasia Outsider. found a lot to discuss about the series these days. And I hope you'll join us for our discussions of that just wonderful, wacky world as we continue to put weird and weird together and make things even weirder. And you can find Love Squad on Twitter at Squad. You can find us on YouTube by searching for us in the search bar. And you can find us on every podcast platform you can go back, or podcast Spotify, Stitcher, you know, wherever you can find your podcast, we're also there. And we also cross post episodes of the Manga Rights feed and post episodes early, sometimes much early on the Manga Rights Patreon. And if you like the art I make, the thumbnails I draw for our shows, or the animations and illustrations I make in general, you can find that stuff on my Instagram at SidArtWorks. All right, but as for me, I'm Colta. You can find me on Twitter at SniperKing323. I also host and produce a lot of my own other podcasts outside of Manga Mavericks that you can find links to over at my personal blog at coltoncorner.wordpress.com. Over there, you can click on the podcast page and basically check out literally anything I'm doing right now, even stuff that I'm not doing anymore, but I still want to link anyway, and even a lot of guest spots that I've done over the years that I've been podcasting. So once again, coltoncorner.wordpress.com. Go over there, click on the podcast page, and check out all my other stuff. But as for this podcast, you can find every episode on mangamavericks.com. That's where we post every episode first, unless you're a patron of ours at patreon.com slash mangamavericks, where over on our $2 tier, you'll have access to select episodes of the podcast, depending on when we have them edited. Basically, if we have an episode of the podcast edited and it's not time for it to go up on the main feed yet, 
We'll put it up on our Patreon at the $2 tier for patrons to listen to before anyone else. But that also really depends on where we're at on our editing schedules and everything what we have done and available and all kinds of stuff. So really, admittedly, if you want more reliable content, you should sign up for our $5 tier. Where over there, you will get a new bonus podcast at the end of every month guaranteed. Right now, our most current bonus podcast is the second episode of our Maga Mavericks Book Club read-through of JoJo's Bizarre Adventure Part 3, Stardust Crusaders. That's right, I'm covering more JoJo's with Grant, otherwise known as Grant the Thief on Twitter. We've been covering JoJo for a while now, it's been very fun. Uh, This past episode of our Stardust Crusaders read-through is uh, pretty good. And just in general, I, I always look forward to talking about JoJo with Grant, so if you want to go listen to that, once again, that that's at the $5 tier, along with uh, the rest of our read-through of JoJo, as well as a bunch of other bonus podcasts you can listen to at the $5 tier. So please sign up at patreon.com slash to listen to those. And when you do sign up, honestly, guys, it's really the best way for you to support us and everything we do here on the show, because every single cent that we make on the Patreon goes back to the show in some way, whether that be paying for our website and podcast hosting, uh, materials for the show, all kinds of stuff. All the money that we make goes back into the show in some way, shape, or form. And it's really thanks to your guys' support that we're able to do what we can. So once again, patreon.com slash Please sign up if you so wish. We'd really appreciate it. But as for everything else, you can follow us on Twitter at manga underscore Mavericks or on Tumblr at mangamavericks.tumblr.com for all the latest updates on the podcast. Subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Mavericks, where we post different excerpts of the podcast and even some exclusive content every once in a while. Once again, youtube.com slash Mavericks. Please subscribe to us. Email us anything at mangamavericks at gmail.com. Do you have any thoughts on any of the news we covered this episode? Are you reading any cool manga that you want to talk to us about or maybe you want us to read on the show? Email us anything about manga, the podcast, or whatever you want, really. We love getting emails from you guys. And hey, if you send us an email, we'll read it on the show. So once again, that's at mangamavericks at gmail.com. Please send us an email. But the most important thing, guys, is that you subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. We're on so many different platforms at this point, but especially on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you can do this kind of thing. If you leave us a rating and a review, it really helps the visibility of our show on these platforms. And just in general, we love getting feedback from you guys, whether it be positive or negative, because we want to use that feedback to make the show as best as possible. But all right, that's going to about do it for this episode. Once again, thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of Manga Mavericks. This has been episode 225, and we'll see you guys next time for episode 226. Bye, guys. Sayonara.